And we are on there for Daytona Milwaukee's NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topic Sound Off coming up at 9.30 tonight. Uh, joining me shortly will be our co-host for tonight, and that will be Sal Sagala. I'll go over the agenda so everybody is on the same page. Uh, we're going to start our re- with our review of the Arca Menards and Arca East race at the Milwaukee Mile this weekend. That race was held just yesterday. And uh, kind of get everybody up to date. Points for three different series, uh, uh, for three different uh, opportunities for points. Uh, the Arca Menards series in the Arca East as well as the Sioux Chief Showdown Point. So we'll get into all of that during the first 15 minutes. Then we're going to offer a few updates from the NASCAR Truck Series and the ARCA West Series. Those two series did not race this past weekend, so we'll make sure everybody's up to date with what's going on in those two series. At the top of the hour, we're going to spend 15 minutes on the NASCAR Xfinity Series review at Daytona, and then 15 minutes on the Cup Series review at Daytona. So at 9.30, we'll start our Hot Topic Sound Off with crew. So joining me now is our co-host for tonight, Sal Sagawa. Sal, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sharon. Yeah, we're going to get into the review of the Arca Menards uh, and Arca East race at the Milwaukee Mile. Ty, Ty Gibbs did what he usually does at tracks that he's never raced at before. He led every, he won the pole, led every lap, and won the race. Uh, a pretty dominating performance. Yeah, another, like you said, another dominating performance and another uh, win under his belt. Um, even though, That's you know, nice. you get the, yeah, and, you know, even though we're getting the, I'm starting to notice a lot of, uh, he's getting a lot of social media buzz. That that's that's for sure. And I mean, and, and the kid has earned every every one of his um, every yeah. one of his wins. Yes, indeed. Now, a week ago, when they were at the Springfield Dirt Mile, uh, the Ty Gibbs uh, failed to lead any laps for the first time all season. Uh, but the 18-year-old driver came to the Milwaukee Mile and did the exact opposite by leading every lap. Uh, and so uh, that's uh, a pretty good run again for Ty Gibbs. Okay. Yeah. It's, this okay. was Go a ahead. paved oval mile. This Last week it was on dirt. This was a one-mile paved oval. Uh, it's his ninth win of the year. Uh, and now he's led every lap three different times this season at Kansas, Charlotte, uh, as well as the Milwaukee Mile. Uh, and it doesn't count the one race that uh, he led all but one lap, and that was the Arkham Menard Series races that was at Iowa Speedway and Michigan International Speedway. So he's had a dominating performance almost all year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, he has. He's been, um, he's been really, I mean, I guess he's also breaking records in the series, too, as far as, you know, what what he's been accomplishing this season. Um, you know, you can't take nothing away from him. He's, <laughs> I mean, I, I can see one or two races, but when he's doing it every week, week in and week out, you know, you know the kid has tons of talent. He, he does indeed. 
Now, he's entered the 16th of 20 Arkham and Art Series races this season. Uh, Corey Heim was on top of the championship point standings, uh, but Gibbs' victory at Milwaukee now gives him a 17-point lead with four races left in their regular season. Uh, so Heim had a bad week this week. He was dealing with some engine issues late in the race. He was able to uh, bring his car home, uh, limping maybe, but he brought his car home to a sixth-place finish in Milwaukee, his second-worst result of the season, behind a seventh-place run that was at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course in Ohio. He was, uh, he was involved in the only incident of the Sucker 150 uh, early in the race, and he got back. He got into the back of Stephanie Moyer's lapped car on lap 118, and that sent her spinning off into turn two. So, um, not a good day for Corey Heim at the Milwaukee Mile. Oh uh, no, it wasn't. It's not the it's not the uh, result that we're that we we're used to seeing. You know, throughout the season, as we see Ty and. You know, Corey, you know, battling, you know, for the, usually battling for the win, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, see him, to see him where he finished, even though a lot of drivers will take that, that finish. But, I mean, when you're, you know, when you're that close in the point standings, you know, every, every, every point counts, every, every position it counts. It sure does. It sure does. Sam Mayer, a Wisconsin native, finished second for Brett Holmes Racing. Uh, he was last year's Arkham Menard Series East champion and was making his fourth Arkham Menard Series start this season. Um, third place finisher was Daniel Dye, uh, so that was a good run for Daniel. Uh, it was a combination race. Uh, with the ARCA East, so we're going to give you points not just for the Arkham Menard Series, but we're going to give you points for <clears throat> the ARCA East as well as the Sioux Chief Showdown, uh, Jay. Or, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Jeez, every week you call me Jay like three or four times. I am so sorry. That's okay. I call, I call Jay Sal, too. <clears throat> well, I, so, I mean, it's, we're almost close because the only thing we have – that our names are identical is we're three letters and we both have A in the middle <laughs> when you think about it. But, I mean, the other two letters are way off. Yeah, I, I got it, Sal. Uh, it's just okay. That you okay. Guys... okay. So let's get into um, uh, the rest of the results here for the Arkham Menard series uh, because, let's see. It keeps jumping on me every time I try to. Okay. The rest of the results for the Zucker 150 are Ty Gibbs in first, Sam Mayer finished second, Daniel Dye in third. We've covered all of those. Taylor Gray finished in fourth place. Sammy Smith from the east finished in fifth place. So that rounds out the top five. Uh, Corey Heim finished in sixth, and it was the champion from the ARCA West. Jesse Love finishing in seventh place, followed by Joy East, Thad Moffitt, and Gracie Trotter to round out the top ten there. So uh, do you want to cover the standings for the yeah, you know, just a little, Yeah, just a little, uh, a little uh, tidbit right here. Um, 
Jesse Love had won the race um, earlier in the earlier the day before at Orendale, Dark oh. Art West race, and then from and then he got on a plane and flew to race at the uh, to race in the in, the, in this in, in the Art so Art race. So that's just a little, yeah. So <clears throat> I think him and Joey East because I. I'm not sure Joey East. I think Joey East did run Orendale too, but I, but I know either way. Um, Bill McAuley Racing makes a big thing, you know, when the, when his drivers do stuff like that, you know, when they you know go mm-hmm. from one from one series to another, you know, overnight like that, and especially after getting the big win at Orendale and making it, I think it was something like his third win in a row. His, it was it was his third um, Arkham Menards West race in a row, and then you know to celebrate, cut the celebration short to get him on a plane to get him over there, you know, which is which is huge, you know, for BMR, you know, making BMR racing, you mm-hmm. know, once again, one of the, one of the big things. Anyway, so, so we get to the points. Mm-hmm. We go to, um, we got Ty Gibbs leading the points. Well, we like we talked about earlier, Corey Hyman second is only 11 out. And other than then, it's a fight for third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth, which third, we got Dad Moffitt. Fourth is Nick Sanchez. And Brad Smith round out the top five. There's a 215 point difference between the third place and Ty Gibbs, and a 200 and uh, a 204 point difference between Corey Heim second and Thad Buffett. So that's why I was just referencing, you know, that, you know, from there it just the spread is just amazing. I mean, what Ty Gibbs yeah, and Corey Heim are doing to this series. Yeah, it really is amazing. There's only two drivers really competing for the championship, and that's Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim. We've been talking about it all year. But the point spread is so deep between second and third. It's it's really incredible. Thad Moffat at 215 back, uh, that's a huge difference in, in the points. So this is a pretty much a two-man show. There's only, what, five drivers? No, only two drivers have raced all 16 races exactly uh and five drivers have raced uh 15 of those 16 races so uh yeah it's it's really uh people are not coming to the race because it's it's really been a battle between those two drivers exactly exactly and then um and then then we do then we go to sixth place which is dl dl wilson seventh is drew dollar mm-hmm. Eighth is Kyle Sieg. Ninth is Taylor Gray, who missed part of the season because of an injury. And then tenth, round out the top ten, is uh, is Jesse Love. And uh, he's, yeah. just for honorable mention, he's 588 points back, so that kind of gives you the spread. But then, two Jesse's missed nine, nine of the 16 races. So um, Right, he's only raced know. seven of the 16. So yeah. same with Taylor and, Gray, and I, he's had eight. Exactly. And then when you think of the wins, um, basically Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim have all of them except for um, uh, Daniel Dye has one win. So mm-hmm. uh, out of 16 races, Ty Gibbs and, and Corey Heim have all the wins, like I said, except for um, except for uh, Yeah, except I for think Daniel, Daniel Dye's win came in the East. Um, I don't think he was won in the Arkham Menard Series. I could be wrong. Hold on. Yeah, you're right. He did win in the Arkham Menard series. Okay, yeah, that's, yeah so, that, that's what it's showing here for that. For that yeah. Okay, so now let's cover the points for the Arca East because they also earned points uh, in 
the series in this particular race, uh, two series but three different points opportunities. Oh, that's right because there were um, it was a it was like kind of like a combo type thing, combo race. Right. Right. Okay. So. So if you so don't have it the, up, uh, I, oh, I no. can do oh, I this got it right one. Here, sure. Okay. Yeah, I got it. Okay, so so the standings in the in the Arkham Menards East is uh um why is it showing the same standings in the East? This was the East. Yes, I yeah, I went to yeah, the East. Sometimes you got to run your finger down and make sure you hit the East. Yeah, I did. I hit the. I'm here at the Arkham Menards. And then Milwaukee Mile East, you know, you know, in the race center, you know, you go to, you go to, in the standings, I mean, you go to Arkham Arts East. East, yeah. Run your finger down oh, here until we go. it lights up white. <clears throat> yeah, there we go. Okay. Okay. So then in, in, in the East, we got Sammy Smith, mm-hmm. Dee Dee, Daniel Dye, Mason Diaz, Joey East, <clears throat> Max Gutierrez rounding off the top five. And uh, I guess you could say we got a pretty good battle going on there. It looks like, uh, actually, it looks like the real battle is going to be between Daniel Dice, Sammy Smith, and probably Joey East. But still, there's still, I don't know how many races they got left you know, mm-hmm. for, um, for any of those drivers to get a chance to catch Sammy well, Smith. And then sixth, huh, Coach Sharon? This is the seventh race uh, for the Arca East. So they've got a few more left. Okay, so they have a few more left. Okay, cool. And then um, six, we got Raja Caruth. Seventh is Parker Retzloff. Eighth is Taylor Gray. Ninth is Ty Gibbs. And tenth is Stephanie Moyer. And you got to remember yeah, that. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, Ty Gibbs has only three of the seven races, and yet he's ninth in the series point standing. Yeah. But you, then we got to remember too. We only have um, one, two, three, four, five, six drivers who have competed in all in all seven events in the E Series. Okay. Two. This was an ARCA uh, Sioux Chief Showdown event, so we need to cover those points as well. Okay. So now we got the Sioux Chief Showdown, and the Sioux Chief Showdown is. Uh, uh, let me see here. We got Ty Gibbs leading, Corey Hyman second, Nick Sanchez in fourth, and Taylor Gray round out the top five. And uh, the points look pretty. They look they look pretty close between the top five. You know, as far as you know, for the Sushi Showdown. I guess where it really mm-hmm. breaks up is when you go when you go from like six down to Brad Smith, seven Jesse Love, eighth is Daniel Dye. Ninth is Tony Constantino, and tenth is Alex Club. Round off the top ten in the yeah. In, in this the group, there's the only what five drivers that have raced all eight races. Four. One, five. Two, You're right. Five. Three, four, five. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There we got five. Yeah. That so that's that's kind of amazing there too. So. Uh, yeah, a lot going on in this particular race. Uh, now moving into the Arco West, um, I don't see where they gave any results from the Arco West race, Sal. So. 
Are you saying that they raced it? That was an ARCA race this weekend? Because there's no, no race not this results. weekend. No, no. Oh, no, okay. it was last weekend. It was last oh, weekend for okay. the, which you guys already covered. Yeah, you guys already covered. It was for the, the NAP Auto Parts 150 presented by Sunrise Ford. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Okay, now. <clears throat> yeah, you guys covered uh, that in, one. Now, the next race for the ARCA West is going to be the Portland 112. That's the Grand Prix of Portland at Portland International Raceway. That's going to be available on Track Pass for NBC Sports Gold members. Again, that race is September the 11th, 5 p.m. Pacific, so that would be 8 p.m. Eastern. Next up for the Arkham Menard Series is next weekend. They're racing September 5th at Southern Illinois' DeCoin State Fairgrounds. That's going to be on MAV-TV. It's on at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern. And the East is going to be off next week. Their next week, their next race isn't until September the 16th at Bristol Motor Speedway. That's going to be a combination event again with the Arkham Art Series and the Arca East racing together. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. That is also another Sioux Chief Showdown. That will be race nine of the Sioux Chief Showdown. And keep in mind, there are 10 Sioux Chief Showdown races. So that series is starting to wind down. It's in the West, though, for the ARCA West. Yeah, let me uh, – standing in the ARCA West, uh, right now we're looking at um, – uh, Jesse Love is in first. Cole Moore is in second. Jay Drew is third. Todd Seuss is fourth. And Paul Petroselli Jr. is fifth. There's only 11 point difference between Jesse Love and Cole Moore. And 14. Actually, Jay Drew and Todd Seuss are both tied for the for the third spot with 14 points each. Um, with with actually three races left, um, the championship isn't over yet. It's far from over between these three because they have um, they have the one you said of Portland, and then they have All American Speedway, and then they finish, they finish their season at um, Phoenix, which is going to be a huge points race because the more cars we get entered, the more points that are up for grabs. But uh, also, you got to remember is that now you're talking about drivers from other series coming in, you know, to to race in this, you know, you know, like the ARCA series probably Suchi showdown drivers, you know, and, and Arca East drivers will mm-hmm. come out and race the, the one mile. And a lot of them are trying to get their, um, they're trying to get their, their, uh, their, um, they're yeah. okay, you know, to race the bigger tracks when they turn 18. So Phoenix mm. is always a big race, you know, for, for all of that too. So this, yeah, this battle is far from over. And then six, we got Joe East. <clears throat> Seventh is Trevor Huddleston. Eighth is Bridget Burgess, and ninth is Takuma Koga. And then we go down to 10th, Bobby Hills Jr., and they have actually they have 10, 10 drivers that have raced every, um, every race this season. That's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, it sounds, sounds like uh, it's going to be fun to watch this one wind down. Uh, Jesse Love, the defending champion, <laughs> uh, wants to make it a repeat this year, but there's a lot of other drivers that would love to foil that. Oh, yeah. You look at – and, you know, it's kind of ironic because <clears throat> Jake Drew 
is actually a rookie in this series. This is his, um, I'm going to say it's, it's his second year driving or third year driving stock cars because he comes out of Orindale. And he was the, he was the, um, our, um, what we call the spec late model champion last year. And when he won the championship, Bob Riccati had made him an off, had told him if he won the championship that he would go ahead and sponsor him in the Canon, in Canon, in the Arkham Arts West series. So, um, Jake didn't know it, but when, um, Bob, Bob Riccati is one of the owners along with Tim Huddleston of Arundel Speedway. But Jake mm-hmm. didn't know it. So after after the race, when when uh, Jake had won the championship, then um, Tim put Bob Riccati on the phone, and that's when Bob Riccati made the made the um, announcement. He told him, he goes, hey, he goes, uh, he says, um, he goes, long way to the championship. He goes, he goes, you got a full sponsored ride next year in the Arkham and Arts West series, and also our Pro nice. Model series at Irondale. So, and look at it, he's he's made the most of it, sitting up in third mm-hmm. behind. You know, the two veterans, Cole Moore and Jesse Love. Right. Okay, now we're going to have to move on now to the uh, truck series. Again, they did not race this weekend. Uh, Their next race is going to be at Darlington Raceway next week. I love the name of it. In it to win at 200. Uh, And uh, we'll cover that more in depth on Thursday night when we do the preview. Uh, but I do want to kind of go over the uh, last race and the driver points uh, because that was the first race of their playoffs. And we know that uh, Sheldon Creed won that race, so he's he's already secured his spot into the next round. Uh, but John Hunter Nemechek uh, still is at the top of the series uh, points. He's at uh, 20,073 compared to Sheldon Creed's 20,071. So there's just a two-point difference there. Ben Rhodes in third place, three points back from the leader. So three points separate the top three drivers. So that's amazing. Oh yeah, it is. It's uh, yeah, it's it, it's going to be a it's going to be a wild um, a wild uh, uh tie back in the yeah, when they when they when they get there and you know see who's gonna you know who's gonna be the one you know, come out on top and win the um, uh, the regular season championship, you know, and, and get those yeah. those extra stage points, you know, for you know when they when they do start there. Well, exactly. <clears throat> now I want to make sure I've got time to cover it all. Um, John Hunter Nemechek, the reason he still has the lead, even though he did not win at uh, at Gateway is because he's got 49 playoff points in the bank. So he got the extra 15 playoff points for being the regular season champion. Uh, so he starts this playoff with 49 playoff points. Uh, Sheldon Creed has 18 and Ben Rhodes 19 uh, playoff points. Now, uh, there is one other driver that has more than Sheldon and Ben, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Matt Crafton is in fourth place. Stuart Friesen is in fifth place. Austin Hill in sixth place with 21 playoff points. Uh, then it's Carson Hosefar, the rookie, in seventh. Todd Gilliland finish is in eighth. And Zane Smith and Chandler Smith round out the top ten. Now, those two... Drivers are the two drivers that are in jeopardy right now 
of being eliminated unless they can move themselves up in the series point standings. Uh, right now, they are 55 points back for Zane Smith and 63 points back for Chandler Smith. So there's 10 points difference between Zane Smith and Todd Gilliland. Uh, but there's a lot of tight battles going on here uh, with all of these drivers. And I would expect Darlington is going to, somebody's going to leave there with hurt feelings. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, definitely. The way this track races, and especially, um, especially because I don't think the trucks, they, they never, they weren't racing there every season. No, it not used every to just season. be Xfinity. Yeah, it used to be just be the um, uh, Cup and Xfinity, and then now you throw the trucks in there, and, and yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna it's gonna be one heck of a good race, I'll tell you that. And, and uh, like you said, a lot of there'll be some feelings coming out of there. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. And you know, you know uh, what? And, and and a lot of it, a lot of it's gonna be of their own doing. Yeah. You know, a lot of it might That's not even be another driver is. hitting them. Yeah, it's going to be of their own doing because once they start getting that Darlington stripe and figuring out, you know, that the one corner doesn't race like the other corner, you know what, and and try to push it, you know, and push it and push it, you know, and, and end up, you know, end up with the, with the infamous stripe and the infamous uh, mm-hmm. crash truck, you know, then they're going to, you know, they'll earn the respect. Yeah, exactly. The two rookies, Chandler Smith and Carson Hosevar, want to stay in for as long as they uh And so I look for those guys to race really hard at Darlington. It's not one of the easiest tracks on the circuit for the truck series or any series for that matter. There's a reason they call it the Lady in Black, and they talk about the Darlington Stripe. Um, a lot of bumping and banging at this track. Uh, we're going to talk about it on Hot Topics tonight, but... A lot of drivers don't know what to expect at Darlington because they repaved turn two, and so drivers uh, are seeing that as a little bit of an unknown. Now, it it was done to correct the problem with all the bumps in turn two, uh, but people don't know yet if how much grip is going to be there and how turn two is going to race. So put that in as another factor uh, that will affect the playoffs uh, next weekend. Oh yeah, it, there, there, there's a lot of there's. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun, and you know what? And, and um, you know it's it's going to be uh, it's it's just going to be ex, you know one to one to really watch. The fans are really going to get their money's worth that that actually attend yes, the race. Yes, they are. And by the way, did you hear about Dylan Lupton driving for Cowbush Motorsports at Darlington? And I think he's got yeah, he's four got, more races with Ray Brothers. He's got three altogether. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I think he's coming back. He's doing the trucks and then he's doing Xfinity. He's yes. also doing, I think, a couple yes. Xfinity races. Yeah. Yeah, I'm real happy for him. I'm so excited that he's going to be back behind the wheel of the trucks as well as in the Xfinity series. So uh, that's really good news. Uh, and also, Jack Wood is going to be uh, racing for GMS Racing full-time next season. He's, he's really moved up because I, I remember Jack Wood, when he was running for um, – when he was running the, the K&N West series, and he was running a lot some stuff out here 
he ran a few races out here in Erndale, then he ran a couple of tour races, and um, and then you know then he kind of disappeared for about a, a year or two, and then now you know now he's come back you know and he's starting to um, you know to uh, you know to make his his comeback and stuff. It's really neat to see him, you know. It's really neat to see him, you know, out here at the you know, um, you know, you know, getting full-time rides and, you know, and earning his way in. Yeah, absolutely. Now the next race for the Xfinity series, because I'm going to move on here, uh, is the, also at Darlington Raceway, the sports clip, Haircut VFW Help a Hero 200. That's quite a mouthful. Uh, they'll be racing Saturday on September the 4th. Again, we'll cover that more in depth on Thursday night's show, uh, but let's cover the race results uh, for the race at Daytona International Speedway. Justin Haley uh, came home with another victory. It was an amazing victory uh, for Justin Haley. Let me go to that race page. Um, on the super speedway, he's becoming a super speedway ace. Uh, he came to the checkered flag. Justin nudged his number 11 college Chevrolet just ahead of his teammate, A.J. Allmendinger, and his other teammate, Jeb Burton, in a thrilling three-wide finish in the Wawa 250 for the NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Daytona. Uh, he made a last-lap pass on his college racing teammate uh, to win the race. And it's Haley's fourth career victory, all coming on super speedways over the last two years. Uh, but it is his first win this season. A.J. Allmendinger came in second but took the regular season championship lead. Uh, Justin Algauer uh, ended the race in third. And Jeb Burton finished in fourth, followed by Daniel Hemrick to round out the top five. Then it was Christopher Bell in the number 54, Noah Gregson, Maya Snyder, Harrison Burton, and what about this? Riley Earps comes home with another top 10. So Colleg Racing swept all three stages with Haley winning the first and third stages. Jeff Burton won the second stage. There were 17 lead changes among eight drivers and seven cautions for 29 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 121.753 miles per hour, and Saturday's race was scheduled to run on Friday evening, but was sidelined by rain, 19 laps uh, in, so they ended up racing on Saturday afternoon instead. It was the 20th annual Wawa uh, and his fourth and Haley's fourth victory in 91 Xfinity Series races. First victory this year again, and the 15th top 10 for this year as well. Uh, it's his second victory and fourth top 10 finish in seven races at Daytona. Almondinger posting his second top 10 finish in four races at Daytona. It's his 16th top 10 finish this year. Justin Algauer in third, posting his ninth top 10 finish in 22 races at Daytona. And Sam Mayer, who finished in 12th place, was the highest finishing rookie. A.J. Amendinger will get into the standings here in just a minute, but any thoughts on uh, the race uh, results here? Yeah, that was a really good, that was really exciting. Uh, 
that was really exciting finish to see the three college drivers, you know, <clears throat> you know, running one, two, three, you know, uh, you know, three wide at the at the stripe. Um, I'm, I'm sure the photographer that got that photo, which there was a, I'm sure there was a lot of them. I'm sure the first one <laughs> went to college. I mean, he that's that's definitely going to be a poster that's going to be put up inside the um, inside the great uh, shop for sure. And I'm sure all the drivers are going to want one to copy of that too because it was him was an amazing finish. I mean. You know they, you know they they did what they had to do. You know and um, you know and, and just watching it watching it all play out at the end. You know, you know you never know what's going to happen, especially on a play track like that. And for them to, they they weren't hooked up the whole race until the very end. You know to see them hook yeah. up the way they did. You know and take care of business. You know what and and it was just it was an amazing um, yeah, it was amazing. It was just an amazing finish. Yeah, it says a lot about that organization, and and obviously oh, yeah. these guys all work together. Justin Algauer was able to get around Jeb Burton, though, at the very end, uh, and Jeb Burton ended up in fourth place. So he was the spoiler maker for a one, two, three finish for those guys, but uh, still a job well done, uh, for sure. Yeah, it was. It was definitely a one. It was. It was definitely a race for the ages. It was. Uh, Christopher Bell was running in the number 54 this week, too. I kind of thought maybe he would be the race winner this weekend. So that speaks to the talent right now that is at uh, Carlick Racing because these guys were able to, uh, uh, you know, finish ahead of Christopher Bell. And you kind of expect Christopher to do well at a track like uh, Daytona. Oh, yeah. And what about Riley Earps finishing in 10th? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a good finish for Riley. He, um, he, you know, he worked his way up, you know, and stayed up there with the leaders, you know what, and, and you know, he did what he had to do, you know, to, to, you know, to, you know, finally get that good finish. And, um, you know, he was strong at times, you know. I, I know one of the restarts, him and Noah started together, you know, and, and, you know, they're even talking about, you know, what good friends him and all Gregson are, you know, that, you know, what, you know, that they might mm-hmm. have a chance, you know, to get to the front. But, um, you know, I'm sure Riley still remembers, you know, when Noah dumped him, you know, for a, for a win, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, and I know Riley, he's a really nice kid, but, you know, I'm sure he's probably figured, you know what, I'm sorry, Noah, but, you know, I, you know, I had a win. And I need this from, as much you know, as so, you do. Yeah, you know, and he probably figured, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm not going to push you. You know, I'm sure I'm behind you. I don't mean I'm going to push you for the win. If anything, I, I mm-hmm. you probably want to push him to the wall, but that's neither here nor there. But um, either way, you know what, um, you know, Colin, you know, came out, you know, Justin Haney got the win, and, and it was a really good, exciting finish. I think it was three wide back, a few, a few rows, too, you know. I mean, all the drivers were just, they were just going for it. Absolutely. It was, uh, like you say, a very exciting race to watch. Let's go ahead and cover the driver points as well. Okay, then the driver points, it's it's no longer... I think they have three more well, races left in their regular season. Yeah, but it, 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 it's still an A that's leading, but it's not Austin Cedric anymore. It's now it's A.J. Allmendinger is leading the points. Yep. Um, Austin Cedric in second. Justin Algaier holding on to third. Daniel Hamrick, who is still winless, 
his fourth. Harrison Burton, who is still winless, is fifth. Justin Haley with his win this past weekend is, is sixth. So that rounds out the top six since they take the top 12 into the uh, into the playoffs. So we we see a new uh, we see a new uh, driver at the top of the at the top of the board. And actually, he's got a very good point lead. He's got a 17. 17, uh, he's got a uh, 17 point lead. Yeah, 17 point lead over Austin Sidrick. You know, for fighting for the uh, for the um, uh, for the regular season championship and the extra points. Yeah, uh, yeah. The reason that Austin Sidrick ran into some trouble. Uh, during the race, and it happened to him last week as well. So he's had two straight weeks where he's run into trouble, and it's put him back in the serious point standings. Uh, now, again, it's uh, there's how many points between them? Yeah, 17 points between them now. But uh, yeah, that's got to be disappointing for Austin Sendrick to have that all year long. Uh, and the reason he's there is because of his playoff points, Jay. Sal, I can't believe I do that. Every single time it's getting to snap. Okay. All these Austin years Sendrick together, and you can't remember. All, all these years I, together, Sherry, you still forget my name? I don't forget your name. <laughs> I just forget. I just get confused over which who which person I'm talking to. Okay, so Austin Sendrick has 34 points. Uh, playoff points in the bank, and that's why he's in second place is because of those 34 playoff points. But what's going to be disappointing for him is he could lose the 15 playoff points going into the playoffs unless he can get back into that number one spot. Exactly, but he's he's also got the five race wins, you know, the, you know where he got those a lot of those playoff points. But when you when you look at the difference between well, we're talking AJ about Almendier the regular season champion. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. But then when, when you look at the points between A.J. Allmendinger and Austin Sidrick, you go to third, Justin Algar is 125 points out. So basically, mm-hmm. this is a, it, it's, it's a two-man show for the, um, for, the, for the regular season championship between A.J. Allmendinger and Austin Sidrick. Right. Uh, and those is on a roll. playoff points are up for grabs. Pardon me? And, and AJ AJ Almendinger right now he's on a he's on a roll he's, he's on, on a, a roll he's 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 <laughs> peaking at the right time yeah he's he's really um he's really fired up and 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 uh so it's gonna I think it's gonna be hard for Sidra to make up that that seventeen point deficit you know within the next you know few races you know for the season championship but anyways moving on um we got uh, Jeb Burton who also was 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 right there itching for that win on on Saturday mm-hmm. too in seventh place. And then Noah Gregson is in eighth, Brandon Jones in ninth, Jeremy Clements in tenth, Riley Herbst in eleventh, and Myatt Snyder round out the top twelve. Yeah, those are the guys that uh, are in the playoffs right now, uh, and so that's still up for grabs too. Uh, if we look at the points difference, there's a big point difference, 29 points um, between Justin Alga, I'm sorry, Myatt Snyder and Michael Lynette. 
Now, Michael Annette was out for a couple of races. He has not raced all the races because of the injury uh, that he had. And then there's Ty Gibbs in 14th place. Uh, He's only raced 12 of the 23 races, and he's in 14th place. That's just incredible. So. It is. It, it is. It's very incredible when you think about that. And even when you go out of 17th place with um, Josh Berry, you know who's who's run 17 races. Mm-hmm. You know he's got that one race one, but you know he's sitting there in 17th place. You know, and then you mm-hmm. go down. I don't even know who's who's who's. Uh, I don't even know who's running for rookie. I don't even know if they're going to give a rookie of the year this year because it seems like none of the drivers have enough have enough races in. I mean, they have to give it to somebody. Uh, yeah, they'll be giving like, it to somebody. Yeah, I mean, you know, when when you look up and down, I guess the only other one would be uh, Jake Jake Buford, who has 22 races in, and below him is Ryan Vargas that has uh, 19 races in. Vargas was supposed to run mm-hmm. the whole season, you know, to run for Rookie of the Year. Then when they got to the to the road courses, they they sat him down and, and you know, um, uh, JD Motorsports is looking more at at trying to keep, you know, a car, you know, you know, you mm-hmm. know, so, so you know they would have the they would have the provisionals, so they so they mm-hmm. sat um, Ryan, you know, for those, uh, you know, for the four races, yeah. you know, this way, you know, you know, this way they keep their, um, you know, the you know the the, the provisionals forever they pick up for next season. Right. Um, now, the, in this series, Sal, the only drivers with uh, big playoff points are A.J. Allmendinger, who has the three wins and eight stage wins. He's got 23 playoff points. And Austin Sendrick with, with his 34 playoff points for five wins and nine stage victories. So the, everybody else is kind of not really very close either one of them, uh, Justin Algauer only 11, with two wins and one stage win. So that's going to be interesting to see how those two play out uh, in this remaining three races. Darlington. Yeah, that. it is. Yeah, it is. It's going to be uh, but like I said, A.J. Allmendinger, he's just he's in his own world right now. <laughs> he certainly is. Okay, um, Let's cover some of the Xfinity Series news. Is there any news we can talk about? Um, I'm just trying to see if there's Xfinity. That's Cup news. I want Xfinity news. Yeah, there was a. What what one of the one of the stories came up was um, one of the stories that came up was uh, yeah. Um, was uh, uh, Sam Mayer, who's going to be um, racing with JR Motorsports next season. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Noah because it seems well. It looks like it looks like Mayer is going to be running in the number eight car, but I, I know there was some story, you know, about you know what's going to happen with uh, with Noah next year. You know, if if, if JR was going to run three three. Um, Three uh, regular series drivers, because because I I know another story that popped up, but it, it never it never had no um, no merit to it. Was you know Jr. you know probably have you know fielding the Cup team. Oh, well, and another uh, 
another thing, another another news story too is next year Jesse Uiji is teaming with um, Emmett Smith, who's a Hall of Fame, yes. uh, who's a Hall of Fame running back for the Dallas Cowboys. They're they're going to be starting up their own team next year, and actually Jesse's going to do the driver owner thing next season. Um, that news right. also came out. That news broke on, um, gosh, a, a couple last weekend. Yeah. Yeah, last weekend. So, um, yeah, and set, in know, addition to the four races with Rayum Brothers, Dylan Lupton's going to drive a couple of races, Las Vegas and Texas, for Sam Hunt yeah. Racing as well. So, and then today, Tommy Joe Martin, Cesar Baccarella, and uh, they're forming a new Xfinity Series team, Alpha Prime Racing, and they're going to share the ride. Uh, between Cesar uh, uh, Baccarella, Tommy Joe Martins, and Raja Karuth, who's currently running in the ARCA East with Rev Racing. So that's pretty cool to hear a new team coming in, too. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, just a little side thing, um, did, uh, did you guys talk about the last SRL race at Stockton? We did not. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have time to tonight because we've got to get into the Cup Series race here too. Okay, it was it was man, share it, it was exciting. But either way, you know what? I know we have to get into the Cup, so I'll just leave it at that. So you can just yeah. sit there and brew on it. I'll let who you brew on it. it. Who won it, Sal? You would not believe what happened. Two hundred twenty-seven laps, real quick. They have the to the back challenge. They started it. Um, of like four races ago, if someone went to the back and they won, if they had to, they had to qualify the top eight, and if you won it, then it was an extra five thousand dollars. So then they bumped it. No, nobody did it. So then they moved it to ten thousand. Each race they added five thousand to it. So then they went to, we went to um, Kern, and um, they did it. And one guy, Christian McGee, took the challenge. And um, he ended up, he, he, his car went out, so it was 10. So this was the last one was at Stockton uh, last weekend or the weekend before. And it was worth 15000 to any driver that could do it. Plus, John Moore put $1,000 up at the halfway break at a hundred at a lap 100, an extra $1,000. So you're shooting for plus the 10000 first. So you're racing for 26000 and if somebody could beat Derek Thorne and start from the back, then you add another $2,500. So Derek wow. is one that never takes the to the back challenge. We had five drivers to the back challenge. Derek, Jacob Gomes, um, uh, Blaine, Blaine Rocha, and uh, anyway, there's two other drivers that did the challenge. And Derek ended up mm-hmm. winning, winning the race after it was a crash-filled, red-flag-marred, three-hour um, marathon, and Derek ended up coming on top and winning the twenty six thousand. He won the ten thousand to win. He was the leader at the halfway point, and then he 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 did the to the back challenge, and ended up winning, wow. winning the whole enchilada. So he ended up bringing home a check for twenty six thousand dollars, making that his eighth his eighth win in a row in the in the um, in the uh, SRL series with two races to go, and if nobody beats him. Then he pockets an extra twenty five hundred dollars a current because they have a bounty out for Derek Thorne in the SRL series. If anybody can beat him, when the you know beat him, then they get they get an extra twenty five hundred dollars that one of the sponsors put up. 
So um, wow. So so now actually it's up to twenty seven fifty now. Yeah, it's up twenty seven okay. fifty now. But um, yeah, there's a bounty out for for our boy. So, but um, he's uh, we're finally okay. going to get him on. We're finally oh, going to get him on. It's going to be the preview okay. for the snowball derby. But anyway, okay, awesome. That's just a real quick. That's just a real quick cap. So now let's get to. Uh, <laughs> let's get okay. to this code zero four hundred. This for us to okay, cover we can do it. Race. We can do it. Okay, okay the next race for the Cup Series is at Darlington this Sunday, September the 5th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on NBC Sports Network. But the last race uh, was at Daytona, and that was uh, a pretty exciting race, too. Blaney takes the victory. Reddick clinches a playoff spot. And Larson wins the regular season championship at all at Daytona. Uh, the Coke Zero Sugar 400 season finale at Daytona unfolded as billed with dramatic action all Saturday night that included 45 lead changes and a 14-minute red flag period for a wild final lap of overtime to decide the championship playoff picture. Ryan Blaney won the Coke Zero Sugar 400 and the win is his third victory of the year, the first at Daytona, and his seventh career win. Blaney was leading when the caution flag waved on the last lap for a multi-car wreck, ignited by contact between the number 96 of Daniel Suarez and the number four of Kevin Harvick. The wreck also included number three of Austin Dillon, uh, and the Dillon and his teammate, Tyler Reddick, as we all know, was in a battle for the final playoff spot entering the race. Both drivers had troubles of their own throughout the night, but an 18th-place finish for Dillon combined with a 6th-place finish for Reddick gave Reddick claim to that 16th and final spot in the playoffs. Uh, Chris Buescher finished second, but his car failed the post-race inspection for failure to comply with the NASCAR rulebook a track, specifically a track bar mounting assembly. So the team was disqualified, and with that, Bubba Wallace grabbed the runner-up finish, followed by Ryan Newman, Ryan Priest, Tyler Reddick, and Justin Haley, along with Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott, B.J. McLeod with a top ten, along with Josh Balicki with a top ten. Now, pole sitter Kyle Larson started at the rear of the field, after he failed multiple tech uh, inspections and finished 21st after being involved in a last lap accident. Larson earned a earned five race wins throughout this season, earning the regular season championship. The field is now set for the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. Uh, the drivers competing are Kyle Larson, Truex, Bowman, Blaney, Bush, Chase Elliott, uh, William Byron, Logano, Brad Kozlowski, Kurt Busch, Christopher Bell, Michael McDowell, Eric Almarola, Hamlin, Harvick, Reddick. Stage one was run by Elliott. Stage two by Logano. There are, again, 45 lead changes among 15 drivers and eight cautions for 31 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 142.2 miles per hour. And... Um, uh, Ryan Blaney won the 63rd annual Coke Zero 400, uh, his seventh victory in 
224 Cup Series races, third victory and 14th top 10 finish this year, and his first victory and fifth top 10 finish in 13 races at Daytona. Uh, Chris Buescher posted his uh, – that, that's not quite true because he did not come in second. Um Bubba Wallace posted his third top 10 finish in nine races at Daytona. Chase Briscoe in 22nd was the highest finishing rookie. Uh, the, the 45 lead changes is the most lead changes in a NASCAR Cup Series race at Daytona since 2011. So uh, any thoughts there on the race results? So. Yeah, it was uh, – I'll tell you, it was um, – Austin Dillon was fighting – uh, yes, I think electrical was. problems, all, all 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 race. You know, he even had a. Then he had the. Then he had a, the pit road penalty on the last on the last uh, on the last caution. He was too fast coming in, so you know that kind of kind of killed him. But you know, it just shows you know that Daytona. You know, any, anything can happen. You know, and um, like you said, you know him and Tyler Reddick. You know, were fighting for that for that last spot. And uh, I'll tell you, that finish was really something else to see Ryan Blaney come in. And I think that was that his third win in a row. Or I know it was, yeah, it was his third win in a row. Because he didn't win last second week. second in a row. Second, second in a row, yeah, that's right. Last week and this week. And then he had a, a, yeah. another win. Yeah, he had, so he had the Watkins Glen win. Yeah, he, no, yeah. he had the Watkins Glen win, too. So this was his third. Yeah. And he's he's coming on, on a full head of steam. Uh, you know, to, to see Ryan Priest finish fourth, you know, as a as a rookie, you know, and you know, then you know, No Neck finished third, you know, was it was also another good finish for Ryan Newman. Um, but um, you know, yeah. it, man, Brad Keselowski, I you know, while well, Logano went out, you know, then Keselowski, I I had I had Keselowski to win this week, but then he got in that that one wreck, and he just you know, yeah, just really. And ruined his day, but um, to see Ryan Blaney, you know, get the win was really, you know, was really I know it was really special for him, you know, to you know get that super speedway win and you know get that get that third win of the season, you know, and um, gosh, it was it was uh, you know, uh, I I I think I I like the fact that they lowered the horse park because we didn't see with all the wrecks we didn't see any cars really get in the air, you know, like we like we're normally seeing, you know, mm-hmm. in the past. You know, well, so they I, slowed I, him I down so. this year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they slowed him down because they dropped the horse part. But I think it was it really, I think it really helped. You know, keep the you know, you know, make the race. I mean, you're going to get pack racing no matter, no matter what it is you're yep. going to get pack racing. So, okay, uh, let's go ahead and cover the points before we run out of time, Sal. Okay, the points. Points. We got Kyle Larson, Ryan Blaney. And Martin Truex. Okay, this this way they're seated in the they're seated like this, this is in the, the reseeding. Yes, the reseeding. Yeah, which is the reseeding because they're yeah starting their play. Yeah, okay. Here we go. So we got Kyle Larson who ended up to be the um, the regular season champion. Um, second is Martin Truex Jr. who comes in with uh, with three wins and uh, twenty four playoff points. Third so is Ryan, Ryan Blaney, Blaney with is his, actually second. They're actually tied yeah. for second. Huh? Because I'm I'm looking at I'm I'm looking at the NASCAR at the uh, at the NASCAR uh, reseed. 
But yeah, oh yeah, you're right mm-hmm. about the point. Yeah, you're right about the point. Mm-hmm. So second, so actually a second, Martin Truex or Ramblini, and then fourth is Kyle Busch, who has to had two, who also has two wins this year, comes in with 22 playoff points, and then fifth is Chase Elliott, who had his two wins with 21 playoff points. Sixth is Alex Bowman with his three wins and 15 playoff points, and uh, seventh is. Danny Hamlin, who comes in with zero wins at 15 playoff points. And the top eight is William Byron with one win at 14 playoff points. And then from there we go down to ninth. There's Joey Logano with, uh, with one win, 13 playoff points. Brad Keselowski with one win, eight playoff points. Kurt Busch with his one win and eight playoff points. Michael McDowell with his one win and five playoff points. Christopher Bell with one win, five playoff points. Eric Almarola with one win, five playoff points. Tyler Reddick with zero wins, three playoff points. And the top 16 was Kevin Harvick with zero wins and two playoff points. Boy, that nobody, nobody no, would have everybody lost. That. They lost the house. Everybody, there's a lot of poor people in the NASCAR because I'm sure <laughs> everybody had Kevin Harvick is winning at least three, four races. And, um, you know, at the top, nobody expected Kevin to be 16th with zero wins. Not even his haters mm-hmm. picked him at zero wins. <laughs> That's, mm-hmm. I mean, amazing, amazing that Kevin Harvick would have zero wins, be seated 16th with two playoff points. Yeah. He is not one of my yeah. favorites going into the playoffs. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I've got a funny feeling, and I've been saying this all year yeah. long, that Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin both are going to come alive during the 10-race playoff. I have visions of Tony Stewart when he said he didn't deserve to be in the playoffs uh, and then ended up winning five of the 10 races in the playoffs. Remember yes, that, Yes, I agree with you. Yeah, I remember that. He also, We also have to remember that he has to win. He has to win to keep to keep advancing. I mean, yeah, sure, after he's out, he yeah. can win all the races he wins. It doesn't matter. But to keep advancing the playoffs, he needs he needs he needs he's in a win or die situation. And you know, and if anyone and if anyone can do it, and and can handle the pressure, I think it's Kevin a lot more than Danny Hamlin. Yep. Well, you know, I, I think Kevin. Out, that's for sure. It's ten races yeah. coming up uh, with the first race at Darlington next weekend. Uh, and Sal, are you going to be at a racetrack this weekend? No, not this weekend. We're um. We're, uh, this is Labor Day weekend, so there's no racing this weekend. I'm glad there isn't because oh, I need okay. a couple weekends off. Well, and that reminds me, next week our show will be on Tuesday night instead of Monday night. And we have um, we have a guest for next week. It's going to be J- Jaden Walbridge, who is uh, one of Derek Thorne's protégés. And uh, he, he he's coming off of a uh, two-win race over here at uh, Madera Speedway. So um, I'm going to get a hold of Jaden this week. I was going to try and get him on this week, but I was real busy at work. I didn't have a chance. But now it's the end of the weekend. I'll have a chance to get a hold of him and get everything all settled. So his name is Jaden Walbridge, and he's 15. I'm pretty sure he's 15 years old. And he's a co-lay model racer out here in California. And I'll get you all the info. Send me a note with the details so that I can follow up on that. But definitely looking forward to it. Sal, thanks for being here tonight. We really appreciate it. 
And uh, definitely looking forward to next uh, Tuesday night with uh, our guests. Yes, and everybody have a good, safe uh, holiday weekend coming up this weekend. We've got three days of vacation, and, uh, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun. So you guys all have be safe out there. And um, remember, wear your mask. We're start, the pandemic is hitting hard again, so we're getting shut down out here in California. So um, anyways... Sharon, thank you. We'll talk to you next Tuesday, and we'll have a guest, and I'll keep in contact. Good night. Okay. Thanks a lot, Joe. Take care. Okay. All right. All right. And now it is time for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, joining us for tonight, where I see we have uh, Jay Huseman here. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Appreciate it. Excited to be here. I know i got to take a little bit of a break, so I wanted to make sure I got in one more before I go on break. Yes, and uh, I see you've weathered the storm. Uh, Yeah, so far just a lot of heavy rain. So uh, keep our fingers crossed. Uh, The wind has picked up a little, but nothing too terrible yet. Okay, and also weathering the storm is Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, uh, almost literally, as Jay right now. Uh, it's been a pretty much a continuous rain. If you don't, y'all don't know, uh, Jay and I live a couple miles away from each other in the same town in Mississippi. So uh, we're both going through the remnants of what was Hurricane Ida. I guess yesterday is now a tropical depression, so getting a big ton of rain. But uh, like Jay said, it's more or less petered out to just a rain and a couple, a couple gusty winds here and there. So I think we're going to be all right. Okay, that's good news. All right, I think Andy's going to try to join us. He may not be here until a little bit later. Uh, I'll try to keep an eye out for him. Uh, But uh, let's go ahead and get started with hot topics for tonight. Uh, Jay, you don't usually get a chance to be first. I'm going to have you go first tonight. Well, unbreaking news, because we've talked about it, but it is now official. (laughs) Kurt Busch has signed with... 2311 and I guess tied to that came the announcement of the placement of the number so I know we've talked enough about Kurt Busch but we'll tie in the placement of the numbers as well here okay so uh, Mike well like Jay said no no real yeah, no real surprise on Kirk Bush being uh, officially announced for 2311. He was pretty coy about it a couple weeks ago, but he was more or less implying that he had uh, something lined up. And he actually had said he had two offers. And after announcing the 2311, he said the other offer was to be a simulator driver for another team. So I can understand why he made the move to drive a real race car instead of being a sim development driver. <laughs> uh, didn't say which team it was for, but either way, I would say driving uh, driving a second car for 2311 wins that one pretty, pretty handily. Um, like Jay said, Along with the announcement came a confirmation that NASCAR is going to move the numbers back forward on the car. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about moving them back or forward. They did. They moved them back for the All-Star race last year. I wasn't a huge fan. And then the uh, the 45 car render that was released for Kurt Busch's announcement because he's going to be driving the 45 for 2311. Uh, it showed the number moved all the way forward, about to where the contingency stickers used to be on some of the older cars before those contingency stickers went away. Um, 
pretty controversial. Even even the people who said, oh, I really don't care, racing's racing, the, they had some pretty strong opinions on it, and I didn't see too many positive opinions on it, that's for sure. And count me among the people who are not a fan of the way it looks. Uh, a slight shift forward, maybe underneath where, I guess, a rearview mirror would be on a normal car, might be a little bit more acceptable. But I would say tucked up right against the front wheel is a little bit too far. Okay. I'm one of those people who... Uh, you know, I don't have a problem with where they place the car number. I'm more concerned about uh, the race that's taking place on the track. Uh, and uh, I, I know others seem to have a problem with it. Uh, that's their prerogative. But I really don't have a problem with it. You're right about the news with um, uh, Kurt Busch. It's, it's probably the worst kept secret although we've had a couple of worst-kept secrets uh, this year. Uh, it is one of the worst-kept secrets uh, for this season that Kyle Busch would be going to 23-11. Uh, I think it's a good fit for all the reasons we talked about before. Uh, Kurt Busch uh, teaming up now with uh, Bubba Wallace uh, in that 23-11 uh, organization, I think is probably going to be a pretty good fit. And, uh, you know, it'll give Bubba Wallace a mentor uh, to uh, work with within that organization that will help him as a driver uh, to continue to develop. He had a good race at uh, Daytona. Uh, He's had some series. He's had some races where he has shown really good talent, uh, but he's also had the other races uh, that haven't been uh, the most stellar. So I think having Kurt Busch there will kind of help him uh, equalize and kind of be more consistent with his performance. Jay, um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, Kurt Busch going to the team itself, I think we all did feel like it was a good fit. I know there were a lot of different options, but Kurt was the the forefront runner and and pretty much decided upon all along, and we kind of knew that. We played a little game of, well, what if he wasn't the one? Um, I do think, you know, they talk about what he has elevated every team he has been with, no matter what organization, if they were already a top team, he still brought them further. So a great move. And I I am happy to see him, uh, him stay in the series. I think it said it was a multi-year deal. So that's great. Uh, I'm one that Mike put under that category. I, I really said, I didn't care where the number was, whatever. I I don't know if it's just the 45 that didn't quite look right, but I think it's ugly. And I'm not going to stop watching racing because of it. And I must say, I think it's ugly and move on. But I do think they moved it too much, and, and it's not right, uh, the placement of it. But I also understand that the sponsors are the ones that are pushing this, and that's what they probably wanted for maximum uh, space on the door. I, I do think uh, just that partial movement would have been better. Uh, I think that, I think they went a little overboard with it. Okay. Uh, Mike, your follow-up. Well, Dre brings up the sponsor. And if you look at the, there, there's a couple pictures floating around comparing Kurt Bursch's current number one car from chicken Assey to the 45 car for 2311. And the thing that stuck out most to me is the Monster Energy logo, because it's the same paint scheme used for both cars, the Monster Energy logo is the exact same size. 
So it's not like the sponsor got additional real estate. All they did was shift the same size logo further back on the car. Now, I understand this is a, a, a pre-production kind of a render, and even Denny Hamlin has come out on Twitter and said, hey, guys, don't, don't light the pitchforks and torches quite yet. This isn't what the final product is going to look like. So let's, let's reserve final judgment. But at the same time, it kind of shows that just shifting the number to the rear doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're giving sponsors anything new or special to work with. You're, you're, I, it's the old adage, you can't make a blanket longer by cutting off a foot from the top and sewing it onto the bottom. And it's kind of the same way it is with moving the race car. You can't add square inches to a race car or, without adding sheet metal to it. So, yeah, they can, they can shift some stuff around. It, and obviously different sponsors with different logos are going to be able to do different things with it. But in terms of what Monster Energy was able to put together for the 45 car for 2311, it didn't look like anything was gained and a lot was lost in terms of the aesthetics of the race car. Okay. Another thing that kind of came out uh, with this announcement is the whole idea of using the number 45. Uh, we know that they used it because that was uh, also Michael Jordan's number. And uh, But Cal Petty came out with a statement on the number 45 TRD Camry. Uh, the number 45 is a special number to myself and the entire Petty family. We look forward to seeing that number back on the racetrack, contending for race wins and championships. Seeing the number compete again under the 2311 racing banner with Kurt behind the wheel is exciting for us. While the number will always hold many memories of Adam, we know Kurt, Denny, and the entire organization will represent it well. Victory Junction, a place of empowerment and inclusion for kids with chronic and serious medical illnesses envisioned by Adam are proud to see the number 45 car return and where his team will take it on the track. So that was their statement uh, about uh, them using that number 45 that is so special uh, to Kyle Petty and the Richard Petty organization. So uh, I wanted to bring up that point as well. So, Jay, do you have any other comments? Yeah, you hit on something special. I knew that it, it did uh, pertain to Michael Jordan as far as his uh, number in college, and I think when he came back to uh, to basketball following his retirement. Um, so there was meaning there, but also to have it reflect the, the heritage of, of racing with uh, Adam Petty. Uh, we haven't seen it since then. Uh, so I thought maybe, too, that the paint scheme would reflect that, but it is a new team, a different team, so I understand that. But to have the... Uh, Kyle make that kind of announcement and just in support of it, you know, there's those that always felt three should never return or that certain numbers should never return mm-hmm. um, to be in support of it. I thought, I thought was really cool. Uh, going back yeah, to, did... to Mike, something Mike said, yeah. uh, going back to something Mike said, I, I'm trying to review the aesthetics of the race car uh, and trying to figure out all the time he spends on his cars uh, when he finds time to quilt and, move whatever piece of quilt he was moving in, in his sewing. But he's got a point. I mean, there is only so much room. If you move the number to one side or the other, I get that it's in the center, but it, I don't know what uh, information or analytics they're looking at to say, hey, this is better and we're going to get more bang for our buck in, in our advertising of it. I, I don't know. I, I'm like Mike. I don't see it. I don't. I don't see the uh, the advantage to it. Uh, and 
in retrospect, too, a lot of fans do associate, you just mentioned it, the number to a team or to a driver. Uh, so I think should be just as prominent as the sponsor. So uh, I think they're making a little bit of a mistake, maybe not from the, the sponsorship side, but from alienating the fan side. And I say this as one that said, as a number, I really didn't have a lot of input. Uh, it, it doesn't look good. I really don't think it looks good. Okay. Okay, Mike, you get to bring up the next uh, hot topic. Sure. Well, this came out a little bit earlier today uh, from Jayski. Uh, we we've known that Tommy Joe Martins was in some issues where they might not be able to continue to field a full-time team. Well, this uh, today on Twitter, Jayski reported that Tommy Joe Martins and Cesar Baccarella have partnered together to form Alpha Prime Racing, and they're going to run the 2022 Xfinity Series. Uh, Tommy Joe Martins is going to continue to drive the car, but he's going to alternate between himself, Baccarella, and if I'm mispronouncing this name, I apologize. I know he's been a guest on the show, but uh, Raja Karuth is going to also be competing in the car on kind of an alternating basis. They didn't announce a specific schedule of who was going to be racing when, but it's interesting to see some things happening at uh, Tommy Joe Martins Racing that might hopefully lead to some consolidation of resources and make the team more competitive. Okay, Jay. I was more concerned with pronouncing Baccarella's name than I was Caruth, but <laughs> I, I like that we're seeing this now. This is the second or third one we've seen on the Xfinity side. I know we talked about it on the Cup side with the uh, next-gen car, but to see some teams coming in and building in the Xfinity series, especially with the possibility of a couple college racing, I know is going full-time Cup, but it's still going to have a Xfinity series presence. We don't know as far as junior motorsports. We do know they are going some full-time, possibly five next year. But to see some new teams being created or uh, repurposed, uh, as Mike said, I think it's a great thing. The only thing that kind of, I want to say, bothered me is, is Tommy Joe has been been running full-time uh, the past couple of years. I really thought they would be able at least to put to one together one full car, full-time car for next year. Um, to start with, but with what they're doing again, if that's where the chips are falling that they think is the best plan, I'd trust in it. I like that they're bringing in the mixture and going to give Raja Karuth his opportunity. And as a young driver, I do see where he could use a full time in the Arca Menard series, I believe is what it said he was going to run full time and then his part time ride there in the Xfinity series. Uh, I understand that, that, that coming out of the Arkham Menards East series, maybe they didn't feel he was ready to run the full-time Xfinity or whether it's a sponsorship deal, but I do see a lot of hope and and have uh, a lot of faith in it as we've seen other teams do of that building process. You know, they may not come out the gate strong, but to see that building process and to see an owner like Tommy Joe Martin uh, start to do that. Yes, indeed. Yeah, this is, this is really good news, I think, for the sport overall, uh, especially for uh, uh, Tommy uh, Martins, Tommy Joe Martins, and for Cesar Baccarella, as well as Roger Caruth, to uh, have this new team coming into the Xfinity Series. And yeah, Roger's uh, going to be competing full time again next year in ARCA uh, with Rev Racing, but. Uh, uh, he'll have this part-time opportunity with Alpha Prime Racing, and 
uh, he's going to have mentors with uh, Cesar Baccarella and Tommy Joe Martins. Uh, so a great opportunity for Roger Caruth uh, to have this part-time opportunity in the Xfinity Series while also racing in the Arkham Menard Series. I'm very happy for him. We're going to try to get Roger on the show uh, coming up here just to talk about this new opportunity. Uh, and uh, But you're right, combining the resources and uh, we'll hopefully uh, make this team uh, a much stronger team in the Xfinity series. And uh, these guys, I like that they're driving the car along with Raja part-time so that they can kind of share information uh, that will help develop their organization at the same time that they're developing a new driver to come into the sport. So uh, a great opportunity, uh, good news for the sport, and good news for the Xfinity series and everybody involved. So, Mike, your thoughts? I think we'd all like to see them running a full-time schedule. I mean, obviously, if it was up to us, we'd see full 40-car fields at every single race and every single car be competing for the win. But, unfortunately, that's just not the reality of racing right now, uh, be it from finances, logistics, or everything else that goes into it. And I think it was a smart move on the part of Tommy Joe. He's been running full-time for several years, and every once in a while – the, the, the team will, will way, way outperform what you would expect from a, a team of, of that funding and experience. And they'd, I'd be surprised if they had a dozen full-time employees over there. And they, they, occasionally they're going to grossly outperform that. But I think attempting to run full-time with the resources they had just kind of pushed them beyond the limit. So downsizing down to a part-time team that hopefully is able to, to – produce more competitive cars, even on a part-time basis, that might end up being more productive in the long run than showing up to every single race and running mid to the back of the pack. So I'm really looking forward to see where this goes for next year. And hopefully they're able to build on that and build it back to a full-time team, kind of similar to what the Wood Brothers did in the Cup Series about a decade ago. Okay. Uh, Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, exactly that. That's a good reference to the Wood Brothers, the way they did it. Uh, If you're only going to show up to X number of races, and I don't know if the car will be full-time with the the split of the drivers. Um, And and like I said, maybe it is just the plan that they they want Rajah Karuth and they don't feel he's ready for the full-time next year, so that's why they're doing it. Uh, My guess would uh, be that Baraka comes in as far as the road courses. That's That's a guess on my part, but Knowing his history and background. Um, yeah, so you said, I told you that was the one. I told you I was going to mess that one up. Um, but to, to see him do the road courses and really establish the team and get him set in a good, solid top 20 direction before Caruth comes in to run full-time and go for rookie of the year. So I'm with Mike. I, you know, sometimes the downsizing is, is the right direction and rebuild to get stable and then, and then grow. And I look back as well as when Justin Marks stepped out of a car in order to build the team around a driver, not himself, Tommy Joe Martin doing that and saying, hey, this is what needs to be for us to grow is me to step out of the car at least part-time, part of the time. So you've got to commend him for that and and doing what's best for the team to make the team grow. And I think he sees the value and opportunity there in the Xfinity Series. Absolutely. They're saying Roger's confirmed schedule uh, includes Martinsville, Dover, and Richmond 
and they've left the door open for additional races for the young driver at Pocono and Kansas pending additional sponsorship. So what they're trying to do is protect his Rookie of the Year status heading into the 2023 season uh, so that he can complete, uh, you know, running for a championship in the Arkham Art Series next year. So uh, uh, I think that that's a good idea. I think it's it's a good plan. And uh, I don't think they've ruled out the idea of maybe uh, giving other drivers an opportunity uh, uh, opening up, opening the seat to other potential drivers. Uh, so I think that some of these guys are going to compete part-time, but they're also open to have another drivers if they can bring sponsorship with them. I'm sure that's part of it. So uh, I think it's all good all the way around. And uh, uh, it's going to be fun to see what they're able to do next season in uh, this new Alpha Prime uh, team. And uh, I don't expect them to be out of the gate, but you know what? Sometimes it happens. We've seen GMS uh, do a really good job, Colleague Racing do a really good job. It's going to be interesting to see if these guys can make it happen. Mike? Yeah, the Xfinity Series is in kind of a difficult position right now. Uh, Going into the 2022 season, we expect the Cup Series to have a substantially lower cost of entry with the Gen 7 car. Dale Earnhardt Jr. has said it's going to be more expensive to run an Xfinity Series car than a Cup Series car. I don't necessarily believe that, but it's pretty obvious that that cost gap is going to narrow substantially between the two series. So that leaves Xfinity Series teams in kind of an odd position where – do they want to continue to run in a what's basically believed to be a lower-tier series because it's a feeder series? Do they want to continue running the lower-tier, lower-money series for almost Cup Series money, or what are they going to do from there? And I think there's, there's going to be a little bit of a, a structural change within the Xfinity Series within the next couple of years driven by the changes that are going on in the Cup Series. So maybe teams like uh, Alpha Prime are going to get out ahead of that and they can structure themselves to be successful in what the Xfinity Series becomes here. Probably, I would say, no later than the end of the decade and probably a good bit before that. Okay. Uh, Jay, your I think, did we cover it all? Did we do a round? Yeah, I think that was two times around, so I think we pretty much covered it. Okay, Jay, you're up for the next hot topic. I just wanted to make sure. Let's see. We've got a couple here. Uh, NBC Sports expected to begin filming tonight for the new playoff-focused NASCAR docu-series that will debut next year on USA. Uh, I know we had had a little bit on this early in the year. Uh, What the thoughts are on that? Okay, Mike. I'm not sure what their intention is on this. Uh, I know NBC – or not NBC – Netflix had a very successful documentary series on Formula One, and that really helped boost Formula One's popularity, especially with people who weren't otherwise Formula One fans. So maybe NBC is hoping for a similar effect with their NASCAR-based series that they're going to run on the USA Network. I think the issue is NASCAR is already pretty well saturated into the U.S. market, whereas Formula One had a lot of room to grow. And what I mean by that is there's not a whole lot of people in the U.S. who haven't, 
obviously they know about NASCAR. They've probably watched a race once or twice, and a lot of people have made the decision of whether or not NASCAR is something that they would like to continue to watch. So I I would like to be optimistic, but at the same time, I wouldn't expect the same impact that Drive to Survive had for Formula One. Um, With that said, I'm interested to see what kind of a product NBC puts together. Um, Hopefully they get Danny Hamlin's name spelled correctly, unlike on the Chase Elliott documentary where they spelled it Danny Hamlin. Um, but uh, other than that, we'll, we'll see where they go with this series here. Uh, it, it's interesting that they're producing more than just racing content, though, to air on the various NBC networks. Yeah, uh, this was put out on August the 28th, which was Saturday, uh, and it's going to debut on the USA Network, which I think just about everybody has. So that's going to have some broad uh, coverage opportunity there uh, on USA Network. I know when this first when we first heard about this, we thought maybe that was a hint at maybe some changes coming to network coverage for NASCAR as well. Uh, and you know, is USA going to be a part of that future? Uh, I don't know if it is or not, but uh, I thought it was interesting that they they're filming tonight for it's a new playoff focused NASCAR docu series. So I assume they're going to be filming throughout the playoff uh, in order to kind of build some drama around it and uh, make it interesting viewing uh, for NASCAR fans as well as potential new new fans. So uh, I think it's interesting, and uh, I can't wait to, to be able to watch it on USA Network. Uh, Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, the, the interesting uh... – thing that I find there is that it is USA that is picking it up. And mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of what do you call the uh, TV shows everybody likes to watch, like the Sit Kardashians down. and the... Oh, reality TV? No, rea- the, the reality TV. Okay. Behind the scenes in NASCAR, especially when it comes to the playoffs, I think it is huge. Uh, I think it's a cool uh plan and thought process i'm a little surprised that it's usa unless we're looking down the road at maybe usa picking up races i know we've talked about nbc and they want to kind of move towards their streaming system in peacock that usa might be willing to come in maybe even buy out the last portion of nbc's uh contract uh and that's me throwing that out there but you know we talk about somebody getting their feet wet I think just to see the interest that USA could draw, you're going to use the playoffs, which is the highlight of the NASCAR season. So I think that's interesting from that aspect. I think that a docu-series on that, the playoffs and the 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 behind-the-scenes type deal is really good. Uh, You know, when you go with one driver one like they did with the Chase Elliott one, I'm sure that drew a lot of attention, being he's the most popular driver specifically. So I think USA is kind of feeding off that and want to use as that use that as their their testing gauge. Yeah, I think you're right, Mike. Your follow up comments? Well, just to be clear, USA is part of the NBC family of networks, so it's not like uh, USA 
is going to be some other company that's coming in and potentially producing or broadcasting NASCAR content. In fact, there have been some races that have been broadcast on the USA Network when there was, say, a rain delay on the originally scheduled race time slot, and then they had to overflow it, but it was going to conflict with something that was on an NBC network. So there have been a couple races here and there over the years that have been run on the USA network. Um, So not surprising that they would put it over to USA, which is more their scripted drama-oriented channel. As far as viewership and reach, I I don't know. It's it's kind of a great unknown, and I'm I'm sure NBC kind of testing the waters to see what kind of interest outside of the live sports demographic uh, there would potentially be for some NASCAR content. I hope it catches on. I hope it. Uh, I hope it does really well, and I hope it brings uh, hopefully some more uh, fans and viewers to our sport. Okay, just a real quick note here. Andy's not able to make it onto the show tonight. We're hoping he would make it on maybe a little bit later, uh, but he's hoping to be here on Thursday. So yeah, I don't have much uh, really to add to this. Uh, I, I already knew that USA was part of NBC, uh, and that that just happens to be where they're uh, going to be. Uh, uh, I want to say publishing. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but that's where they're going to be televising uh, that uh, docu series that they're working on on the playoffs. Uh, and Jay's right; they've already done this a couple of times, so. Um, uh, I, I do think that uh, they are testing the water, if you will, to see what the viewership might be on USA Network. Uh, I will say I don't typically watch USA Network at all, but if there's something about NASCAR on there, I'm going to be watching it. So it's going to be bring people like me uh, to their network, which uh, they're not currently getting my viewership there. So I think it's a smart move. And uh, we'll have to wait and see how it all plays out. Uh, they haven't said when they're going to televise it yet, have they, Jay? No, what did it say? Uh, April of next year, maybe? Now I'm trying to find, scroll back up to that. Uh, I know it was into, into next year that it had come out as far as the release. Right. So we'll have to kind of keep an eye out for it and make sure viewers know when they can tune in for that. But what are your final thoughts, Jay? Like I said, I think think it's a good thing. Um, We'll have to wait and see how it's done and what all gets covered on it. But I think, I think they're going about it in, in the, in the right direction. You're not just picking one driver. That's a popular driver that you're reaching more than that. And I think it's also a way then of NASCAR, again, highlighting those that do make the playoffs. We've talked about that, of how much it means to make the playoffs. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some top teams or good running teams, when it comes to the playoffs, they get mentioned as, oh, yeah, also ran. Even if they finish in the top five, they're still an also ran because we're talking about the playoffs. So I think this is another way that these teams get highlighted as far as top teams or for the year anyway, being in the playoffs. So I, I think it's a win-win all the way around. We'll see what develops through USA or NBC on, on that platform. Uh, I have hope for it. We'll have to we'll have to see if that reaches the right demographic and, and feeds the the way they think it will. Mhm. Yeah, and it, it's a great exposure for the sponsors as well. Okay, Mike. And I'm not. I'm up- not finding anything where. It, 
I'm not finding anything. I thought somewhere I thought it said April, but uh, that might have just been in my head. Okay. <laughs> well, if we do find it, we'll make sure uh, people know when to tune in uh, for that for sure. Uh, Mike, you get to bring up the next topic. All right. So we're, we're going to Darlington this weekend for the Southern 500. And Darlington is renowned for being an old, worn-out racing surface, except for a good chunk of Turn 2 this weekend. Uh, there has been a, a large portion of Turn 2 up by the wall. Basically, the first 36 feet down from the wall in Turn 2 has been repaved with fresh asphalt. And there's been a lot of drivers t- uh, talking about it, including Martin Truex. And kind of the overall theme is, well, we just don't know what to expect. Uh, they know it's going to be a big transition from the old pavement to the new, and they know it's going to be a continuously changing situation because the Southern 500 starts during the heat of the day and ends well past sunset. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that, and I'm interested to see what you guys think about how that will affect the race this weekend. Okay, Jay. Well, we'll have to wait and see what the drivers say once they get onto it. And I heard uh, Scott Miller talking about this on Sirius XM. Uh, they don't view it as a big thing, and I know he referenced some of the tracks uh, that they've done stuff like this. Pocono, they did around the corners. Uh, Martinsville's had to do some patchwork. Atlanta had to do some uh, major patchwork repeatedly uh, before doing a full repave. So he didn't seem to think it would be that big an issue but once we get cars on the track, and we'll have to see with where it is in that corner of if it becomes a, a slick spot or a, a big grip spot where they're trying to slide the corner and all of a sudden get grip and shoot down the track or something, we'll have to wait and see how the cars react on it. But I don't think uh, with the engineers and, and that NASCAR has that they'll get it to where, yeah, it's going to be a little different. You're going to notice it's there, but I don't think it's going to be a major issue but we'll have to wait and see. We've seen that in the past, the tracks that have what they call the seams, that drivers say you either got to be above it or below it. If you hit it exact, it's like ice. So that that's mm-hmm. a, a yet to be determined. Yeah, I listened to Martin Truex's uh, video, and uh, he did talk about it being an unknown for everybody this weekend. So uh, it's not just for him, it's for everybody, a little bit of an unknown. But the more he talked about it, he said – before they paved it, there were bumps there uh, that really caused the cars not to have grip at all in that corner. And so he felt like uh, maybe it was going to be a little bit better than the bumps that they've experienced over in that corner. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, it, it, he kind of said it takes it out of the equation, if you will. Uh, Darlington is known for having, uh, you know, those different corners uh depending on which side of the track you're on it's an egg-shaped track so um the fact that there's a repave in that turn two is going to be a little bit of a factor this week uh but they will and i don't think they have any practice or qualifying this week i think everything's going to be on the metric system uh with no practicing so their first idea of what's going to happen in turn two is going to happen during the race. So uh, that's going to be an interesting start uh, for sure. The more Martin Truex talked about it, the more he felt like it wasn't going to be that big of a deal, that it's probably going to be better than the bumps they used to have in which they knew there wasn't any grip in turn two. Now there's the chance that there might be a little bit 
as they kind of wear that in. So, Mike, I'm curious to know your thoughts. I think the most interesting aspect of it is going to be how that changes relative to the rest of the track as the day progresses. So I'm Mm -hmm. assuming that it's going to be, since it's fresher asphalt, it's going to be darker in color than the very worn-out light gray asphalt that is the majority of the rest of the racing surface around Darlington. What that means, if it's a bright, sunny day, that darker asphalt is going to absorb more heat from the sun, and that patch of the racetrack is going to be hotter than the lighter-colored portion of the racetrack. As the day goes by, it's going to hold that heat for a little bit longer, and it's going to probably remain a slick spot all the way until they get deep into the night. And at that point, maybe it's going to equalize out, especially since by that point the race is going to be good and rubbered up. But I'm interested to see how that change in track temperature there in turn two is going to affect how teams uh, adjust their strategy. Do you set the car up to try and run better and what you believe is going to be uh, better, smoother pavement in turn two and try and gain an advantage there? Uh, Or do you understand that turn two is probably going to be a little more slick and you focus on something else on the racetrack? So I'm really interested to see how that – uh, how the teams approach it, especially, like you said, Sharon, with no practice and no qualifying to kind of validate those setups, they're really guessing here based on some history and just, you know, thumb in the wind kind of guesswork. So it, it, it might produce some uh, some entertaining results here at the beginning of the race, and uh, old Captain Chaos Jay might enjoy it. <laughs> okay, Jay, your follow-up. Well, and and that's where, and I don't even know which it would if it if it's going to be slick like like Mike said that that as it's hot it's slick or as the rubber builds into it if it provides more grip. Like I said, if you're kind of sliding around, all of a sudden you hit a, a spot of grip and your car takes off on you because it has grip. Normally, when you talk about repaving an entire track, that's why it's one lane because it's all the grip is in one spot uh, where you don't have to slide around to find the grip. So it, it is a concern. We'll have to see. Like I said, if you're sliding through the corner and all of a sudden your car gets gripped, whichever way your steering wheel is pointed or the wheels are pointed, you're going to grip towards the wall or grip down the track and uh, find somebody else down there. We'll have to see. I think as they get those first few laps on it, as Shrek said, you know the bumps are there. You learn to work around it. Uh, however, you your car or you as a driver decide to take it. So with that... Those first few laps could be real interesting. Once they know it's there and what it does, yeah, I think we'll see some different uh, maneuverability of the drivers in how they want to handle it. Some may go so that their tires are above it if they can. I don't, and I don't know exactly where it's on the, tr- on the corner of the track um, or stay right on the line of it or try and stay below it. So uh, definitely going to be interesting, though. It is going to be interesting. And then, you know, kind of mix into the mix here, uh, the whole idea that different drivers have different driver styles. So it's going to suit some drivers and their style of driving. It's not going to suit others. So, uh, and, and some people are going to be able to adapt to it much more quickly than others. So, you know, a lot of, we see it during races that sometimes the driver who is not maybe not in as good of equipment as other drivers uh, has an impact on the race. I, I do see that happening uh, this weekend. You're going to have drivers that aren't adapting to it as quickly have an impact on the race overall. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be a factor this weekend. Uh, I, it, it might not be um, 
uh, for everybody, but I think it is going to be a factor for some drivers. And uh, it, it, is, it is an unknown, and whoever can adapt the most quickly is going to be the one that uh, is going to be able to take advantage of it. So, Mike, what are your final thoughts about it? Well, I'm just glad I'm the guy watching the race this weekend instead of trying to figure out how to set up for it. Um, those, those guys make a lot of money, and this is one of those weekends where they earn it for sure. Um, I would say that this uh, – yeah, you're going to reach into your Darlington notebook and, and pull out your baseline setup for that. But in terms of how you adjust for what really amounts to a very different racetrack that they've raced on over the past few years there – it's going to present some challenges. And like you said, an additional variable in those challenges is individual driver preference as well. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be something to keep an eye out on, but it's not like it's a high pressure race or anything. It's not a crown jewel to kick off the playoffs, right? (laughs) Yep. It is. Okay. So uh, interesting thoughts there. Jay, let's go with your next hot topic. Well, this one, too, is, is kind of lumped together, but we had some penalties over the course of the Daytona weekend. Oops, wrong button. Um, I know we had Chris Busher. We'll go, I'll just go with that one and keep it separate. That one's separate. Chris Busher could have won the race, could have raced his way into the playoffs, but it would have been taken away as he was disqualified post-race from his second spot to finish, uh, be credited with 40, 40th place finish. Uh, for a track bar, short or low, I'm not sure which, uh, of how the final decision on that was, but I know they did not appeal it by the time allotted today. Yeah, that was, I think, uh, more revealing than anything. Mike, your thoughts? Well, sometimes you get caught, and that's just how it goes. Uh, You know, when... When you're a team that tends to run towards the middle of the back of the field, you probably don't get the kind of scrutiny that the guys who finish second do. So maybe maybe they got they've been getting away with something that suddenly there's a guy they got a couple more eyes on them. Um, I think this is the highest finishing position in, in the Cup Series that NASCAR has stripped away from someone. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I know Chase Elliott won a stage earlier this year. Uh, and then was subsequently disqualified from the entirety of the race. But I think second place is the highest finishing position that's ever been disqualified in the cup race. So this is kind of a big deal. Obviously, it would have been a bigger deal if he had won the race and ended up getting disqualified um, because it would have cost him a playoff slot and either Tyler Reddick or Austin Dillon, whoever ended up uh, being in that next position to score a playoff win, uh, or I guess Lovell Wallace in this case, since he finished second in the race, um, they it could have had some serious after hours playoff changes there after everyone went to bed watching the race thinking that after they they finished uh, filling out their initial playoff grid. So interesting to see as far as implications going into the playoffs. Well, we've seen NASCAR come down pretty hard with tech issues recently. They came down on Hendrick Motorsports uh, for the engine issue a couple weeks ago. Obviously, the nine car has other issues in pre-race tech, and now the 17 getting disqualified. It's kind of a shot across the bow to these teams of, hey, if you're going to play around, you better be prepared for the consequences. And we saw those consequences last year with Ryan Blaney having the unsecured ballast to start out this weekend at Darlington 
they were penalized, not disqualified, but just a substantial points penalty going into that Darlington race. And they really never recovered from it from the rest of the season. It really took the wind out of their sails. I don't know that they so much lost a competitive advantage that they were getting away with and then it got taken away. But I think it was just such a momentum killer that it really took that 12 team out of the game. So having NASCAR kind of lay the groundwork and say, hey, don't play around, or if you, you if you got your games, we got our games too. Uh, I think it kind of sets the stage for if somebody does get caught with something illegal in the car, uh, it could have some pretty serious off-track playoff implications, and definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think NASCAR is definitely making a statement. We are watching uh, what you are doing, and we want you to play by the rules. So I think it's a message to all the teams, not just to Chris Buescher's team. Uh, but, yeah, thank goodness he did not win, and we had to take a win away uh, from a driver. Um, so I, I'm glad that NASCAR caught it. I'm glad that they uh, issued the penalty. He ended up being 40th instead of second. So uh, NASCAR did their, their – due diligence, I think, in this particular case. Um, uh, He's not in the playoffs, uh, Chris Buescher, but he certainly was trying to go after that win to put himself into the playoffs. uh, But they were doing it illegally. So uh, I think that is a message for the remainder of the playoffs that they're keeping a close eye on things. Uh, Jay, your thoughts? Well, I'm going to give you all something to think about while, while I talk about the uh, the situation itself. But Sharon said that a good thing he didn't win so they didn't have to take away the win. I almost think that maybe it would have been better if he'd won and they had taken it away and pulled him out of the playoffs then uh, based on that to say, hey, it don't matter. We, you know, we're not, we're not going to play around just because it's a, you know, mm-hmm. second place didn't hurt him as far as that because he wasn't in anyway. It almost like you want to make that statement of, hey, even if you are a playoff contender, we'll pull you out. So that's something to think about as we go back around. But the one thing that I took from it that, that seemed to be frustrating a lot of people was the question of why it's not wasn't caught free race. And Scott Miller talked about this, and this is where, like I said, it seemed kind of vague. And I know at that point they were still under the window where they could appeal it, so they didn't want to get too in-depth, but – that they said it was legal pre-race and not after that an adjustment was made. Um, and he was the first set uh, or first time out on the track there, he was sparking that there was an adjustment or it was designed to shift once they started racing, uh, whichever, mm. but coming from working with this series that I have in the tracks I've worked at, that is one of those I get frustrated with. If there is something wrong with the car, whether it's found pre-race or or after the race. Pre-race, if they give you the opportunity to fix it and still run, count it as a blessing. I mean, they could DQ you until you can't run that day because your car isn't legal. It is not on Mm -hmm. them to give everybody a second chance, you know, I mean, or how many ever, you know, I understand they're pushing the limit uh, of how close and they've pushed pushed on that as far as, hey, if you have to come through the, the tech line three or four times, we're going to start penalizing you the more often you come through. And I think that's the mm-hmm. reason is to get them to where they're just not cheating. I mean, whether it's pre-race or post-race, if nothing's wrong with the car, you ain't got to worry about it. So I know a lot of fans were upset that 
they didn't get it pre-raced so that you could fix it and then be legal and not have to worry about it. That's not NASCAR's job. It's the team's job to have it right the first time. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. It's it's the team's job to have that car ready to go in the race and to have it legal. Uh, I know there's different uh, views on that, but uh, especially with the playoffs, uh, again, I, I like the idea of crowning a champion who's done it legitimately versus crowning a champion that's uh, gone outside of the boundaries that everybody else is playing under. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm sorry, Mike, I skipped you. Why don't you go ahead and give your follow-up there? Oh, sure, no problem. Um, I'm not I'm not positive it was Ray Everham who said it, but it sounds like something he would say, and if it wasn't him, it was, it was definitely somebody else. But saying you show up to the racetrack with about ten illegal things on the car. You make two or three of them pretty obvious, so those get caught in tech, and you hope that that distracts mm-hmm. the guy enough that he doesn't catch the other seven or eight things that are illegal on the car as well. So to their point of, well, if it was illegal, why didn't they catch it in pre-race? Well, maybe they were busy dealing with the one or two other illegal things on the race car that were designed to get caught and burn through the time at tech before they had to move to the next car. So I don't see the, well, you didn't catch it in pre-race tech. I don't see that as a very legitimate um, excuse or, or defense from somebody who gets caught with something after the race. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a, a, a bad on NASCAR if they missed it in pre-race tech. And I don't think there would be anything wrong with Scott Miller or anybody else coming up saying, yeah, we didn't see it in pre-race, but we caught it in post-race. You're liable to bring a, a legal car to pre-race and post-race tech. And even if we don't catch it in pre-race, but we catch it in post-race, the penalty is going to be what it's going to be. Um, so, that, you know, race teams play games. That's just how it goes. I, I, I tend to be a little bit more on the uh, it's part of racing uh, school of thought on it than you guys are. We've gone around and around on it a few times, so we probably don't need to beat that horse anymore. But that's the other side of that game is when you get caught, the penalties are there. And so long as they're consistently enforced, that's part of racing as well. And, you know, when, when teams are coming up, come to the racetrack with something that they know they're playing games with, they should expect to get caught from time to time. And when you get caught, there's consequences. In this case, for the 17 team, there were consequences. It's unfortunate for them, but not necessarily that unfortunate because they're the ones who are playing games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, um, I think that ties pretty closely in with the pre-race things that were caught. Uh, and the two crew chiefs that were ejected from the track because of uh, multiple pre-race uh, 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 failures. But, uh, yeah, I've heard that before, too, Mike, that uh, a lot of times they'll have several things that are wrong with the car, and those several things that are wrong uh, are things intended to distract them from the bigger thing that they're hoping to get by. So um, it's very possible that that could be exactly what happened uh, this past weekend and why he wasn't, uh, uh, was not caught uh, in the pre-race inspections. But uh, I do think that uh, teams are, are going to try things, and I'm counting on NASCAR to catch those things uh, that are going on. And I would guess, that their process has been kind of ticked up a little bit, if you will, to catch things 
especially with it being the last race of the regular season. But now that they're going into the playoff, uh, I, I would expect things to continue to be ticked up uh, a little bit. So we may be seeing more penalties coming out of it. Uh, I think that's what happened last year when uh, some of these drivers that were were winning a lot of races uh, were caught with some things, and, and then they stopped winning. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this continues to play out throughout the playoffs. But, again, I think it's a good thing that NASCAR is uh, sending the right message uh, that we want to we wanna catch these and uh, make sure that uh, everything's done legitimately. In this case, Chris, uh, the only way Chris uh, Busher would have made it into the playoffs is if he had won that race. He didn't win, uh, so it wasn't that big of a, uh, a hurt for him, although he did lose some points going into this next phase uh, that could affect his uh, final positioning in the, in the point standing. So uh, fun times, Jay, your final comments. Well, actually I got a bunch of them now uh, going, going to what you said, Sharon, though, I don't think NASCAR ought to stand on that mantra though, that, we're going to be even more closely inspecting because it's the playoffs. Cause that means you can cheat up until the playoff time. That's when we're really going to watch it. So I don't think they want yeah, to get into true. that boat that, you know, going down that road. Um, as far as what Mike said though, of, and I don't know, Ray Abraham might've been the one to say it out loud, but that, that philosophy goes back, I think to even the Richard Petty and, and Cale Yarbrough mm-hmm. in those days when, Cheating really was to see who can cheat the most or get away with the most uh, back then or, you know, get it by. And you're right. I think it did happen back then. Maybe nobody outright said it. Abraham might have been the first one to actually verbalize it. What what I get frustrated with is the fans that want to rally and say that NASCAR is doing something wrong by not catching it in pre-race. And, and I just think I'm like, you know, the only thing you can do is, you bring your car in, we strip it down and inspect every piece, every part, because we know they do that post-race. They take the winner uh, and several top manufacturer and then it's a, a random one. So, But you can't do that pre-race. I mean, they already get frustrated with going through the uh, whatever OCS is now, the, the scanning system that they do go through with that teams have to go through. If you want to go that right, okay, we'll tear the car down pre-race, put it back together, and then still have to check it again to make sure while you were putting it back together you didn't slide something in there. You know, it's just not mm-hmm. feasible. And like Mike said, you want to play the game, that's fine, but then accept the penalty when you get caught, whether it's pre-race and you've got a second chance to change it or not, or it's post-race and you're done. I mean, that's the way it is. Yeah, and it sounds like uh, Rush Fenway is accepting the penalty. Okay, we're coming up uh, to the time of night that I do an announcement for our new listeners. Um, If you're listening for the first time, we just let everybody know we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time tonight. But we are going to continue our conversation, and we'll continue to record our conversation, uh, which will be available as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. So I go out, as soon as we finish up here tonight, I will go out on Twitter just to let everybody know that the podcast is available. And then at that point, 
you'll be able to go to the player, whether it's at Blog Talk Radio or here at BamfaRacing.com, and fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. So, again, we just let our new listeners know uh, that there is a way to hear the rest of the conversation uh, when we do go off the air at 10.30 p.m., Eastern time. Uh, so and nobody's caught by off guard uh, by us going off there in midstream. So with that, Mike, it's up to you for the next hot topic. Well, I'm scrolling through the list here. I'm kind of spent. I'm sure Jay's got a, a whole fistful more. And I know, Sharon, you got one that you brought up that I really don't know enough to bring up on my own. So I'll kind of follow the lead on that one. Uh, but I'll go ahead and defer for the next one. Okay, Jay. Well, well, we'll just go with the basic of of the package they had at Daytona, kind of the Daytona race as a whole. The package they had, as well as it being now the second year of that, that final race to make the playoffs, and the thoughts on it as a whole. Okay, Mike, your thoughts about the new package? Yeah, I guess it's kind of a two. Two-part question there. Um, with regard to the uh, the aero package there, um, the changes that they made with regard to slowing the cars down a little bit, and I think they made a couple aerodynamic changes as well as adding some more structural bracing to the car. And this was in response to Joey Logano's blowover wreck at Talladega earlier in the year. Um, I don't think it affected the quality of the racing. In fact, I think the racing was outstanding. Um, you, you notice they're featuring speed less and less and less during the broadcast. You used to, they used to show how fast the cars are going, you know, 200 miles an hour or whatever. I didn't see that featured nearly as much on this broadcast. And it's not really important. You know, the cars are going plenty fast as it is. I did like what I saw at the end of the race. Uh, Kevin Harvick got turned sideways on the back stretch at full speed, took a hit in the, uh, in the left rear, and the car got no more than two or three inches off the ground. So whatever they did – or maybe it was just luck, but it was good to see that no cars got substantially airborne, and there were a couple opportunities in some of those wrecks for cars to go flying, and they really didn't. So whatever they did, or just some blind luck, it worked out, and the cars stayed on the ground, which is a really important goal that they, I know that they've been working very hard for. As far as this race being the cutoff race for the end of the season, I think NASCAR got what they wanted, and what they got was chaos. Um, it was a good race. It was an entertaining race, but there's probably, you know, a hundred million dollars worth of race cars destroyed this past weekend, which like I said, they're, they're looking for chaos and drama and they definitely got it. Um, so was it worth it? I don't know. It was a good show. I'll put it that way. I was entertained as a race fan. Was it good racing? Sometimes yes. Sometimes no. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the the 30 car demolition derby kind of of, of wrecks that we had two or three times in the last 20 laps of that race. But yeah, you could tell guys were racing all out because they knew they had a lot on the line and it led to some desperation moves, you know, Chase Elliott blocking Matt DiBenedetto right into the wall, Uh, Joey Logano getting doored and then fenced and then cutting a tire down. That could have been a whole other wreck. Uh, And then the, uh, the Daniel Suarez versus Kevin Harvick wreck uh, that took out the rest of the field in the last lap. All of those were probably a product of putting the race where it was, where everyone comes to Daytona feeling like they had this opportunity to win. And at the same time, everyone comes to Daytona feeling like they have this pressure that if I don't win, I'm not going to make it into the playoffs, at least if you're, you know, anything but the top 15 drivers going into the race this weekend. So the race delivered what it was designed to, that's for sure. 
Yeah, I agree. The race, uh, they definitely delivered. A couple other stats I want to just bring up here. Uh, the average speed of the race was 142.201 miles per hour. So that's a little lower than we typically look at for uh, Daytona International Speedway. The other stat that I think reinforces uh, that NASCAR made the right decision uh, is the race produced 45 lead changes, the most lead changes in a NASCAR Cup Series race at Daytona since 2011. So uh, that uh, is is what fans like as well. They like to not see different drivers up in the lead. And when you've got 45 lead changes in a race, uh, that's a lot of lead changes. So uh, I think that speaks to the success of the slower package as well as the fact that we did not see any cars go airborne uh, this weekend, even in the big ones. Uh, you mentioned uh, the, the wreck at the end there with Daniel Suarez and Kevin Harvick. Um, you know, those guys uh, were going all out there. So you would expect somebody to be going airborne. I think it also uh, was done in response to what happened with um, um, Ryan Newman at Daytona as well. So obviously the package worked. Uh, from a lot of different perspectives, and uh, I have to can that happen. So, Jay, your your thoughts? Yeah, I don't know if the changes to the package did anything for the racing. It was great racing, uh, my, minus and marring the few uh, accidents, yeah. but we know that is Daytona probable, if you will. So whether or not that was from the package itself or not, some great racing. The safety aspect, again, like Mike said, whether that is what prevented him from getting airborne, the one I think of that came to my mind was Martin Truex when he got sideways and slid through the grass and we saw all the uh, air flaps deploy. Uh, That was the one I was most concerned about because he was going sideways and if he just started it, a barrel rolled. And we saw, I, I saw it watching it, the flaps deploy and it stay on the ground. So, uh, it was a good thing, whether it was luck or not, or it was the package. If it was the package and they think that or know it, uh, good on them and keep on top of it because we didn't see, like you said, any of the airborne wrecks that we have in the past. The Coming down to the end, though, uh, you mentioned that, and I find this kind of ironic, and I think it was discussed on Race Hub with uh, Jamie McMurray and, and Larry McReynolds of uh, we saw the Xfinity series come down to have a three, four wide finish mm-hmm. bumper to bumper for five rows. Yet the top series with the top drivers. Now I understand they have more on the line with the pre- pressure of the playoffs, maybe, but some of your top drivers, you mentioned Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick, Ch- uh, Joey Logano having issues. So some of that has to do with drivers as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Mike, your follow-up? Well, with regard to the uh, to the aero package, I think Jay's right. It, in terms of the, the safety aspect of it, I think they got it right. Um, 
it's it's going to take a couple races, and obviously this is, we got one more plate race before the end of the year, and now they're going to have to reinvent that wheel all over again with the Gen 7 car. But hopefully some of the things that they've learned with the later Gen 6 cars between this year and previous years where they've made changes, uh, they can apply it to the Gen 7 car so they're not starting from scratch trying to figure out how to keep that car on the ground. Uh, I did like what I saw in terms of driver safety, kind of like what Jay was saying about Everything worked the way it was supposed to, which is exactly what we were hoping for. We want to see good racing. Yeah, every once in a while, maybe you want to see a wreck every once in a while. But the last thing we want to see is see somebody get hurt at one of these races. And at the speeds that they're going, even the reduced speed that they're going, if the race car isn't designed and set up properly, you can still see somebody get very badly hurt in one of those wrecks. So I'm really glad to see that the safety features that they've built into those race cars did their job this weekend and everyone came out of there safe. Um, as far as the racing product itself versus the Xfinity series, it's almost apples and oranges just because, like you said, Sharon, they weren't racing for the same thing. The Xfinity Series was racing for a race win. The Cup Series was racing for a playoff berth, which is a very different thing right there. Um, yes, the Xfinity race is very good. Uh, I enjoyed seeing the colleague versus the world kind of race that they had there, and colleague came out on top. But I think it was an apples and oranges kind of a thing, and that's why I would say the Xfinity Series is a more entertaining race the Cup Series was a more entertaining show, and they are two very different things, and don't confuse the two. Okay. Um, I don't think I commented before on the uh, point of uh, is it a good idea to have Daytona as the final race for the playoffs. Um, it, it certainly uh, – I, I saw the stats on the viewership, and the numbers were up for this particular race. So, uh, you know, when you think about it, season, and now you've got the Daytona uh, summer race that's ending the season. So it's kind of the perfect bookmark, if you will. And a lot of people tune in for the 500, but then they, they don't tune in the rest of the season. And then there's that other group of people that tune in for the 500 and figure out that they like racing and they'd like to tune in for more racing. So I'm sure that's the philosophy going having Daytona as the final race of the season is that uptick in viewership and with the idea that although some of them are only going to tune in for that one race, uh, there's going to be others that will tune in uh, down the road here and become NASCAR fans. So I think it's a good strategy, and uh, uh, the racing was entertaining. And I'm with you guys. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. I've never been a fan of wrecks. Uh, I don't watch to, for wrecks. I watch to watch racing. So um, I'm glad that NASCAR did what they did and uh, that everybody is safe. Uh, so, Jay, your final thoughts. It's one of those, and I know NASCAR in the last few years has kind of set it up this way. Uh, coincidentally, it started with Talladega. They moved that from being the final race of a cutoff round uh, to mm-hmm. not have that. But now it seems like they've gone back to it. You got uh, Daytona as the final for the regular season championship, which I do, I do like because especially when you talk about that's the final race, a driver can race their way in. And we know, and we saw uh, at, at Daytona, that possibility certainly existed. I think, uh, 
on Race Hub, they paused it, come into that final restart, or one of the final ones before some of the bigger wrecks. Eight out of the top 12 drivers, that was their shot to race their way in. We mentioned Chris Buescher. Mm-hmm. Matt DiBenedetto was up there. Uh, Ryan Newman was up there. Corey LaJoy. So that Daniel Suarez. So that you provided that, and maybe at a track like, just I go back to the first one that pops off in my head is Richmond. When Richmond was the cutoff, we did see Jeremy Mayfield do it once. But that's one that you're not going to see that grand possibility of anybody winning that race and getting in. So I think they did match that up real well. Is it a little too much all, especially on a track like Daytona where anything can happen anyway? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seemed to have worked the past two years. I know we didn't get somebody that raced their way in, but the storylines were there. They just didn't develop. Yep, that's so true. Okay, uh, Jay, did you have any other topics? Uh, as Mike put it, I got a fistful if you'd like. <laughs> well, we're here. One of... One of the things I look at, looked at, uh, and, I, and I hate to say this based on picking on a particular driver, but we mentioned it. The top 30 is 30 too wide a range to allow somebody, the top 30 being the top 30 in points, getting a win. It's too wide a range. Do we want to see somebody that was 30th all year win at Daytona? And I hate to say it, we use a name, but Corey LaJoy. I would have loved to have seen him win a race. But do you want to see him then as one of your 16 playoff drivers battling for the championship, pushing out Tyler Reddick, uh, who's been running as high as 11th in points throughout the year? Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Uh, Short answer on this is no. Uh, We've talked about it before when we talk about playoff waivers for guys who miss races either via injury or uh, like Grant Enfinger because he, he missed a race due to not being able to find a ride for that race. Uh, I think there, that's some room where, there, uh, where some changes can be made for the better without affecting the overall product. So I, I agree that maybe moving that cutoff up to, I don't know, 25th or somewhere in that neighborhood, win a race and be in the top 25 or 20 even in points, um, I think is, is a much more uh, – discriminatory to use it in the, in the actual sense of the word, uh, not in a negative connotation, but a better way to, uh, to kind of filter out drivers who uh, nothing against Corey LaJoy inspire motorsports, but they're not a contender uh, just because they win at Daytona doesn't make them a contender next week at Darlington or for the remaining nine races after that. It's a feel good story and it's great to see, but in terms of trying to put together the best playoff field possible, I don't know that there's anybody aside from somebody in the LaJoy family who can argue that Corey LaJoy would be a better fit and have a better chance at winning the overall Cup Series championship than Tyler Reddick, who most people see as a long shot as it is. So giving Corey LaJoy the opportunity to win his way into the playoffs, yeah, that's a, that's a plus, but in terms of putting together an overall quality playoff field with cars that – have at least a reasonable chance of contending for that championship, I think there's some ground to be gained there. And in terms of guys like Grant Enfinger uh, or even Michael Annette, I would say a better move would be, you know, win and be in that top 20 or 25 or straight out point your way in like Grant Enfinger could have, should have been able to do. If you're in that top uh, 
whether it's eight or 10 or 12 or whatever it takes to get into the playoffs versus the other winners that are in the series. If you're in there by virtue of the points that you've accumulated, I think that's another way to, uh, to get yourself into the playoffs that doesn't necessarily mean, for, uh, mean you need a win. And I think that's another change that can be made to improve the quality of the overall playoff field. Because if you're pointing your way in and you've missed races, that means you've had a really strong season even without one or two races in there. That's true. Yeah, we've seen that uh, with Ty Gibbs and Josh Berry in the Xfinity Series. Uh, those guys all, I think between them, they have four race wins, and yet neither one of them are in the playoffs. Uh, there's three more races left, so I guess there's still a chance. But, um, yeah, I'm, I am tend to agree with Mike on this. I think 30 is an awful lot uh, for people to come from a 30th place position uh, up to being having a race win and, and getting into the playoffs, I think it takes a spot away uh, from those drivers that really uh, have been more competitive all season long. Now, is it the wow factor that NASCAR is looking for? Sure it is. When you get somebody like a Josh, uh, um, I want to say Barry now, but uh, Corey LaJoy is who I'm talking about. Uh, when you see somebody like Corey LaJoy who comes from a 30th place position and, and possibly wins the Daytona, five, uh, Daytona race to get himself into the playoffs, that's a big wow factor, and, and it will create a lot of buzz. But if he's out in the first round, uh, I don't think you've really done yourself any favors there. So I do think it would be uh, to their – I think the first year it was the top 20. I don't think they went as back, as far back as uh, 30th place, but they also had only 12 drivers, I think, the first time around, too, that were qualifying for the chase. So, yeah, I, I, I think they need to change it. I think that's the question you're asking. Um, I think 30 is too much. I, I think it should be somewhere around 20 or 25. Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, and I have to agree with Mike on both points he made there. Look at Eric Almirola. At the time when he won, uh, somewhere in there, he was around 28th, but that team has showed the improvement, has been running up their 23rd now. I think he's going to be one of the first ones out in this first round. Uh, Mm -hmm. We'll get to that later. I know Mike's got a thing up on that. But same with Michael McDowell. Started the season strong, got the Daytona 500 victory, drop back to, and I don't have the point standings pulled up, I believe he's 19th or 20th. Okay, he's not real far off. Is he another one I think is out in this first round? Probably. But they are building in the right direction. They've been top 10 throughout the year and picked up a victory. The matching up with Daytona being that final race, that really opens that door because, you know, it could have been Spire Motorsports. So when we look at Justin Haley, who is doing the part-time schedule, could win that race for whatever, whatever the circumstances and reasoning. So little iffy about that, but, and I don't want to take anything away from Michael McDowell's uh, Daytona 500 win because he was running uh, top 10 throughout that race. Yeah, then they get in the playoffs probably going to be eliminated in the first round it'll work its way out but especially when you compared to the truck series and i think that one most certainly needed to be adjusted i, I almost wish they'd have adjusted it this year uh, but certainly down the road 
you have a, a driver like Grant Infer that missed a race for whatever mm-hmm. reason, but really was in there in points, even minus that race. To me, that's more deserving than somebody that's 30th and picked up a win. And I'm not going to say it's a win by luck uh, because, you know, you got to still be out there and, and run that race in order to get there. But I would rather see that somebody that's been running top 10 all year in the playoffs and running for the championship than somebody that picked up a win and finished 28th or whatever the rest of the season, but has that win. Okay. Mike, your follow-up. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of beating the same drum here, but uh, the, the, the concept of the lucky win, it kind of, it, it makes for a good Cinderella story. I think everybody had smiles on their faces when Michael McDowell won the Daytona 500. Probably still not as big as Michael McDowell himself, but it was a good feel-good story. I, I agree with Jay. Is Michael McDowell setting up for a deep playoff run? Most likely not, especially when you compare his performance versus the other teams in the playoffs. The other people that Michael McDowell has beaten, namely Eric Almarola, well, I see him going out in that first round as well with Michael McDowell. Uh, I kind of jokingly said during the race day chat that you know, the, the race on, on, uh, on Saturday was for that, first, uh, that last spot in the first elimination block in the round of 16 there, uh, kind of jokingly implying that, Nobody who currently wasn't already in the playoffs was really going to be able to compete with the guys who are already in. And, yeah, that's a little sarcastic. It's a little tongue-in-cheek. But the cream tends to rise to the top in the NASCAR Cup Series, and that's why you see year over year more or less the same drivers being successful year after year. And the drivers who break in, Matt Benedetto last year, uh, Michael McDowell this year, they're a good feel-good story, and there's something to talk about going into the playoffs but they're very quickly eliminated and the the serious contenders for the championship start uh, rising to the top there. And I think we're going to see that again this year. Um, Could we expand the playoff field? I don't think that's a good idea. It's already almost half of the field as it is. Can we make the playoff eligibility more difficult? I think that's the direction that we need to go in order to create a more competitive atmosphere um, for overall year-long performance, less reliant on that one lucky win to get you into the playoff. Yep, those are all good points. Um, yeah, I I stand by what I said earlier. I I really think that uh, there needs to be changes. And and Jay brought up another good example with uh, Grant Infinger, uh, that not getting into the playoffs this year, and yet he's run consistently under some pretty difficult circumstances. Uh, so I definitely agree with him that uh, I I think he should have been granted a waiver. Um, and so I hope NASCAR does look at that this year for next year. Um, I don't have a whole lot to add to what I've already said. So Jay, I'm going to pass the baton on to you. Yeah, I I think you're kind of hit it there of maybe top 25, that 30 might be a few too many top 20, you're 16 into the playoffs. Top 20 is a little tight. So, I think 25 would be good. And I look at Eric Almarola. Like I said, he picked up the win, but then the team also improved, and he moved into that top 25 in points, right. uh, staying consistent. Michael McDowell started out strong but faded, didn't go past the 25th mark. And the ones we looked at that were running, with the exception of Corey LaJoy, as I believe he's 28th in points, uh, Chris Buescher, Ross Chastain, Matt Benedetto, 
they were right there just outside that top 16, uh, 17th, 18th, 19th. So somewhere in there, the 20 may be a bit, bit, bit too tight, but top 25 I think would be a, a better target. Okay. Uh, anything else? We've got uh, a couple minutes here. <laughs> so a quick one. Well, Mike, I hate – yeah, I hate to cut it short. How about how about the first four we think are going to be out uh, after this first round? I know Mike's got his whole uh, championship uh, board filled out, but how about just the first four we think are going to be out? Oh, All right. Okay, well, um, yeah. Uh, I, like Jay said, I, I do have my entire bracket planned out. I'm not sure how accurate it's going to be, but uh, given my outstanding position in our fan for racing fantasy point standings. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty confident in these picks. Uh, anyway, going out in the first round. So these are the four drivers that I believe will be eliminated in the first round. I already said Eric Almarola and Michael McDowell. Great guys. Kind of a feel-good story. You know, a little bit of a season redemption for Eric Almarola getting in. And uh, Michael McDowell, the feel-good win at the Daytona 500. Great to see him get into the playoffs, but I think that's as far as they're going to go. Uh, they're going to, it's going to be it for them. Kurt Busch, good good news here in him getting a ride sewn up for next year, but his, he's been somewhat inconsistent this year. He's been very un-Kurt Busch-like, minus still in that one win. So I think Kurt Busch is uh, he's going to be one and done in this round. And finally, going out in the first round, I have the four of Kevin Harvick. I know he had such a strong season last year, but it just hasn't been there this year. He pointed his way in. He was actually clinched going into Daytona by virtue of his points position, but he just hasn't been a race-winning contender. He's only got two playoff points to his name going into the playoffs this year, and given the strength of his performance so far, I really have a hard time advancing him beyond some of the other drivers who are still in the playoffs. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, who was your first driver that you mentioned? Uh, Eric Almarola and Michael McDowell. I kind of said them together. So my four are uh, Almarola, McDowell, Kurt Busch, and Kevin Harvick. Okay. Yeah, I, I would agree that, uh, uh, let's see, Darlington and, uh, Richmond and what was the final race? In this round? Uh, Bristol, I believe. Bristol, that's right, it's Bristol. Yeah, Kurt Busch is good at Bristol. Uh, I would have to agree with probably Eric Almarola and Michael McDowell. Uh, As far Brad Keselowski's been pretty inconsistent. I I almost put him in that category uh, just based on consistency, and I think his head is already into next year, although they say – they want to go after that championship. Uh, we'll have to kind of see. It's, it's, his consistency hasn't really been there. Um, and then beyond that, yeah, I almost – I hate to say Kevin Harvick because I've got a bad feeling that he's going to come on strong during the playoffs uh, and maybe, you know, crack off two or three wins. Um but he he just hasn't done it yet this season, so you almost have to have to put his name in that group as well. So um, I would say Brad Keselowski is part of that group for me. So those are, those are my four. Who are your four, Jay? 
That that was only three. Who is your fourth one? I said uh, Michael McDowell and Eric Almarola, Kevin Harvick yep. and uh, Brad Keselowski. Oh, okay. You did go with Harvick. Okay. Um, I just I just wanted to make sure I was more in line with you, Sharon, than I was with Mike. That's all. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, it's unfortunate, but we've talked about it. Their points position, Almarola going in the right direction, not far enough, not fast enough. Michael McDowell started out strong. We've talked about that, dropped off. Uh, great that they made it in, building for the future for uh, Michael McDowell and Front Row Motorsports, hopefully. But then I'm with Sharon, the one that's been trending in the wrong direction while the teammate has been going forward is Keslowski. Uh, we've seen several, uh, especially at the road course, I know they had problems at, at Indy and Watkins Glen. I don't know if they were trying something different on the, their road course cars, but did not go well. And he just hasn't been the, the front runner uh, like we've seen, whether it's based on him leaving. I know the statements that have been made uh, makes you wonder, though. The other one, though, that I put was that we haven't seen it running up front as consistent has been Christopher Bell. Uh, this mm-hmm. being his first time in the playoffs for the Cup Series. Uh, I know he's won the Xfinity Series or run good there. I'm trying to think. No, he didn't. Did he win the Xfinity Series championship? I don't think he did. But second year, yeah, he got the win. Again, had a stretch where they were running good, but has seemed to kind of been trending downward while these other teams are going up. So Christopher Bell and Keselowski are my two uh, that I put out first, along with, unfortunately, Eric Elmerol and Michael, or, uh, Michael McDowell. Okay. Uh, Mike, follow-up? Uh, I would agree with Christopher Bell going out in that first round. Uh, spoiler, I've got him going out in the next round. Um, but the only reason that I, I consider Christopher Bell an advanced him was Bristol at the end of that uh, this three-race stretch. And Christopher Bell tends to run very well at Bristol. I could be wrong. He, you know, he and Kyle Larson were supposed to be the favorites to win on the dirt Bristol this earlier this year, and they took each other out before the end of stage one. So who knows how this is going <laughs> to shake out. But – I think Christopher Bell's saving grace is going to be Bristol. I'm not saying he's going to win, but I think he's going to put together a strong enough performance to advance himself as well. Uh, Sharon, you're right. Kurt Busch is also very good at Bristol. So that's got me a little bit nervous there. And, Jay, I agree uh, with you and Sharon regarding Brad Keselowski. I don't know what's up with him. He has not put together a Brad Keselowski-level performance, really, not even since the announcement, but since the rumors really started in March about the Roush Fenway move. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Brad Keselowski going out. I'm sticking with my guns, but I wouldn't be surprised to see either one of you guys proven correct on your, uh, your picks that I didn't end up taking. Okay, the one I'm, and I agree with what you said about Christopher Bell. I think Christopher uh, is going to be good at a track like uh, Bristol. So I don't necessarily see him going out in that first round. But probably the second round, uh, I I would see him uh, more likely to go out. Tyler Reddick, uh, I don't see him necessarily going out in the first round either because I think that Tyler Reddick uh, has shown. You know, he's been fairly good and uh, could do well at some of these tracks that are coming up. Uh, Kevin Harvick, I don't know what it is with him. Uh, He's the one that I'm nervous about because I've just had this feeling all year long 
that he's going to do the reverse of what he did uh, in last year, which was had all those wins in the beginning of the year and then fell off during the playoffs. And I, I just had this nagging feeling that he is going to come on strong during the playoffs. Uh, and and not go after all of those wins necessarily, but keep himself enough in it that he can go out there and and perhaps win during the playoffs. We'll see if that happens. I would say if anybody could do it, it would be him. But based on his performance so far, you almost have to put him in that category of being one of the first ones out after saying everything that I just said. So uh, I know it sounds a little bit contradictory, but – uh, I, I think he's given me no other choice but to put him in that category uh, just based on his, his performance during the regular season. But I'm not going to be surprised if he doesn't come off with a couple of wins here uh, rather quickly in the playoffs. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm going to kind of stick by my, my uh, guns there with those four. So, Jay, you get to your final thoughts. Yeah, it seemed like we were defending each of the other picks for each other, and <laughs> Harvick is one you could argue either way. Uh, we talk about he's not having the season that, that it, we expected from him, but he has still been top 10 to 15, which put mm-hmm. him in, in, what, 11th, uh, somewhere in there in points. Being that he doesn't have the playoff points built up, that should still be able to get him through the first round uh, into the top 12, especially when you compare to a couple of the others that we expect to probably fall out immediately. Uh, so it's going to be close. Uh, now you mentioned mm-hmm. Kurt Busch runs good at Bristol. So that could be the factor or Christopher Bell. Same with Keslowski. If we see that turnaround from him, which we know they can because the team, the other mm-hmm. two Penske teams, as well as Matt DiBenedetto are running good. So it could be that Harvick goes out, again, blow your mind from what we saw last year into this year, not only not having the win, barely making the playoffs, and then possibly even out in the first round. So that could be the case. Um, You mentioned Tyler Reddick, though, and I didn't realize this. Going into, I know the last two weeks, Michigan and uh, Daytona were a little rough on him, but prior to that, I believe they said he had earned the second most points behind Carl Larson over the last eight yeah. races. He came from deep in the twenties up to the 11th spot where he was at in points and battling with teammate Austin yeah. Dillon. I didn't realize he had been that good that he was second only to Larson as far as points earned. So if he can get that, get around that, I think he has a shot to at least make it into that, that second round. But he's another one a lot of people think are going to come out right away. It'll depend on whether that downward trend of Michigan and Daytona still linger with him or if he can get back to where he was. Mm-hmm. Or just the, the sheer energy of trying to stay in the playoffs uh, and the adrenaline that goes along with that uh, might have exhausted him too. So we'll see what happens. Okay, um, I guess we're uh, pretty much up here for the, tonight now, so we'll do the roundtable. Mike, we'll start with you for the roundtable. Sure, it's going to be Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Uh, should be on for Thursday as well as I think I'll be available next week. I'm not sure I'll keep you posted, uh, but look we'll forward to talking Tuesday. to you all then. I should be around Tuesday as well. 
Okay, yeah, just keep in mind it is Tuesday and not Monday next week. Okay, Jay? Uh, you can follow me, uh, Michael Hoosman, on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, be a little bit different following this week as I'm going up to Tennessee for a county fair and work some events up there and spend some time at a county fair. So, And with that, Sharon, uh, my vacation may even be extended beyond that, so I don't know if I'll be a Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.